Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, March 12th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say, Ta-da. Mr. Bob Ryer, Konnichiwa. and Stephanie Cook. Hello. <laughs> All right. Never go that way. <laughs> Bad Cockney accents abound here on Talking Comics. I was going for Australian. Oh. And I was going for Labyrinth. Both horrible then. <laughs> What? <laughs> um, we have a we have a fun show for you today. We're going to be speaking with Ted Adams, the publisher for IDW. Yikes! Can hear all about IDW and mm. uh, their history and, and the books are publishing, and it, it's a cool talk. Uh, spoilers: we already had it, but you'll hear it later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we we ask him the most important question of all: What does a publisher do in comic books? I don't know. I don't know. Well, now you do know. Now but, I do know. Sh- spoilers: we don't, is half the battle. We, we don't want anybody to know. Ooh, inside. <laughs> Uh, it's the 15, 15 year anniversary of IEW, yes. so that's why he, he is joining us. So guys, stick around for that. Um, and but it's I'm not going to say it's going to be a shorter show. I'm not going to say it because if I say it, it's going to be a three hour show. So we have a show for you today. Um, some fun announcements at, at the end of the show as well. Uh, we'll say this one at the beginning and the end because it's a timed thing that people need to know about. Uh, we are going to be on the radio. Bob, why don't you tell people? Sure. Here. Right up the road from mm-hmm. us is Stony Brook University at State University of New York, and they have the area's local, fun, independent radio station, all sorts of crazy stuff going on music-wise, reggae marathons or whatever, and they've decided on a show called The Long Island Scene to feature us since, mm-hmm. well, three of us do live here, and mm-hmm. we're part of the scene. So it'll be three of us. Yeah, Bobby, I will not be Bobby is at a, a premiere gala. <laughs> Oh, you're so, not going? No, I have work. What? I got, yeah, I have stuck work. going to one of these champagne parties with with you know starlets and and tuxedos. And That's things. not quite what it oh, is. Uh, okay. it is a work engagement. We're going to say it's like that. Yes. <laughs> so it'll be Steve, Stephanie, and I yakking about comics and what mm-hmm. we do, and we'll have some uh, trivia questions and some gift certificates for local stores to be given out, and we'll figure some other things out for those of you who are further away. <laughs> I don't know how quite what we're doing yet with that, but we'll do something. And it should be fun. That's at 6 p.m. tomorrow, and it's WUSB 90.1 if you can listen over the radio, but you can also stream them over the internet, which is also at www.wusb.fm. We will put a link to that in the show notes, and also look out um, on Twitter and Facebook on, on Thursday, because we'll publish the, the link a few times, let you guys know, and you guys can listen um, to to that show. Um, so... We're going to go right into Books of the Week. We're going to get right to it. We're gonna, this show's moving on at a clip right now. Mm. Oh, my God. What is happening? It's crazy. It's We're getting crazy. organized. We're getting organized, yes. Prepare to get <laughs> Only organized. Only after, like, two and a half years. Yeah. It's the beginning of the end. It's his beginning of the end. <laughs> uh, there was no news to talk about, so I don't want to talk about 
a trailer for a movie again because we talked about those a lot. And I mean, I'm, I think Sin City is cool, but I'm not. Who sees movies anymore? <laughs> I know, <What>? right? <laughs> I don't know why you said that, but um, <laughs> and I certainly don't want to hear Stephanie talk about the show she's been tweeting about all weekend because I think I already know everything I need to know about it. What uh, show was that? Since I didn't see any. The, of re- the Returned, right? Oh, I, started, yeah. I started watching it too. Oh, you did? Yeah. It's really good. The Bobby. disease is spreading. I'm I'm sure it's good. The first episode, I watched the first episode. Mm. The first episode was very cool. Very uh the tone of it's awesome. Mm. And it's she's right, it's creepy. It's not jump out of your skin scary. It's more go to bed thinking about stuff kind of scary. Just stuff that keeps you up at night. Uh very, very well mm. done though. Mm. So find yourself a good copy of it though, because it is beautiful. And I've I've come across two copies. One was garbage, and the <laughs> other one was like the Blu-ray magnificent. Why are you trying to find a copy of it? It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Because I always forget that I still have Netflix. <laughs> so that's where that eight dollars is going every month. Um, and if you guys think that isn't comic related, it is because Stephanie <laughs> found the show through Jeff Johns on Twitter. So yeah, it's true, and it's I found it because there's a new show called Resurrection that's yes. on TV, which mm-hmm. is. Not based on the show The Returned, but is based on the book, or yeah, a book. Yes. But it's also very similar to Revival, and I saw Mike mm-hmm. Norton and some other people tweet about it. And that led me to The Returned, strangely enough. It's a very weird situation. There's, there's also mm-hmm. a comic book starting, and I think like two weeks, just called Returned. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Without the definite article, right? Yeah, Without nice. the the in the front, it's Wonderful. just Returned. Crazy stuff. Weird, weird, wild stuff. People like that. <laughs> okay, Johnny. <laughs> and as we speak, the Lady Sif is kicking behind more than likely on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She is on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And if I still watched that show, I would be very, very excited. I put a videotape in before I left the house. I haven't watched it in a long, long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm one episode behind. Mm. I started watching it, and then I, I moved on to something else. Yeah. The last... I've been watching True Detective. Don't say I, I have it all. I'm watching it this week. I cannot wait. I have not heard. I don't even know what the show's about. That's how much I don't know about it, but I'm so psyched to watch it's about it. about dun-dun-dun stuff. It's about deductive <laughs> reasoning. It's about detectives. And yes. people with antlers, apparently. The last episode of Arrow was very good. Which I did watch that just now, Bobby. Tell it, me more. It's pretty awesome. Which um, one was the last one? Because I'm pretty sure last I'm week. Up. Slade Wilson. Oh, the, the at the end at the, the mansion. The hello. No, no, the one after that. Well, you were one behind, sir. No, what? Yeah. How? Because there's a, how? Because you missed an episode. I don't know that's how. What? There's a, the last episode was it was a lot of flashback stuff. You find out kind of um, what happens to the freighter and Anthony Ivo. Get the. F- and you get a lot of time w- with Slade. I'm usually so good with keeping up on Arrow. What's wrong with you? I don't know. And then the promo for this week's one. Uh, woo! Not this week, next week. <laughs> oh, next week. That's right. They're taking They're a week off. Here, yeah. Yeah. We get a little Suicide Squad in the promo. Mm. And so. it's actually called this, like, the next two episodes are Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. Yeah. So, like, hello, interest. You've <laughs> been peaked. Yes. Sweet. And along with that, we had the, the they premiered the the first full body photo of uh, Grant Gustin, I believe you say his yeah, name, as the Flash. Looked really good. Grant Gustin. Grant Gustin. <laughs> Gustin. It look it looks good. It, look, it looks like the Flash. You know, 
As opposed to when he doesn't look like the Flash. Well, I'm just saying. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. The costume. Looks the costume. It's funny. People were people were saying that you know when the the head came out or the the mm. cowl or whatever yeah. the hell it is the mask. Yeah. They're like, oh, you haven't seen the rest of the thing yet. I'm like, it's gonna look a lot like the headpiece. Yeah, well, it's gonna be a leisure suit yeah. or something. <laughs> it's, it lo- I think it looks but, great, yeah. but it, it looks yes, exactly. exactly like I had imagined it would look when they were gonna release it. It looks fantastic. Yeah, and it looks. Would you say, Stephanie? Sorry, Bob was like talking about you know whatever, and I said sweatpants, the juicy couture version. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it would say flash on his behind. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Zoom. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it looks good, and it looks, you know, it looks very kind of in-universe with the Arrow costume. It ma- looks like it's almost made out of, like, the same, you know, material well, in a lot of ways. That's because Barry Allen in Arrow creates his mask. I know. Oh. I know. Oh. Stephanie knows her Arrow now. It comes together. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'll school you all. I've been watching it for a week. What do you know? <laughs> Nothing. And uh, Colleen Atwood designed it, so. Well, there you go. Yeah, she's a. Pretty... I don't know who that is, but whatever. Good job. Oscar winning, time yeah. Oscar winner oh, Colleen Atwood, costume designer. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited about it. Good yeah. job, Colleen. <laughs> People were on a first name basis. <laughs> People were getting on it because the red was too, was dark. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. <laughs> really, really? Blood. Yeah, yeah. It was like, a little too burgundy for me. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is perfect, yeah. and we're gonna get into it's too yeah. burgundy. For yeah, you. it's the color <laughs> of wine, and That's wine is good. Point, we need something to complain about. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it has too many little tchotchkes in in the design. Yeah. There, there are too many little. Things. There it should scenes. be just red. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are those straps? <laughs> Was it looks good. Too much pockets. I think Barry should wear heels. <laughs> there you go. It'd be a tough a tough gig for the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> um, My dog's but it's cool, you know, the, the lightning bolts on it. You know, it, it's got the, the 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 cowl is is the right shape. You know, it, I'm excited about it. That that costume makes me excited, and the fact that I like Arrow so much, mm-hmm. it, you know, it puts the I think on the cake there. And I really liked his portrayal as Barry Allen. Yeah, in his two episodes mm-hmm. on the show. I mean, so. everything so far is lining up for mm-hmm. it to be a really solid show. Yeah, if they can if they can start the Flash off with the momentum where the Arrow is now, mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, they've had the backdoor pilot in a way. You've gotten to see this character know yeah. already, so well, they're already they, starting from a better point than Arrow did. Right, yes. well, they, they seem to know what the audience is into. It. They realize mm-hmm. that they can do the Arrow story as it is now, and people would be into it even more so. So, like, you know, hopefully, that, that like I said, that'll carry over. You mean over. if Barry wasn't a serial killer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm cause... glad you skipped past that portion of what the CW thinks we need. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm excited about about that show. And good thing about this last episode is there is a chance, though they'll be very small, that from now on Laura will no longer be the worst. Yes, <laughs> I thought that too, and I was gonna tweet it, but like I I thought it was a bit too soon since the episode was last week. I missed but... a lot. Yeah, apparently, yeah. that's huge. There's there's a chance that she might not I be the worst. Finally, whoever's writing the show finally went on Twitter or something and was like, "Damn, everyone hates her." Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Hey, we should do something about this. I understand. Okay. Yeah, I understand. It was like an instant turnaround. Yeah, I understand giving a character a journey, but it's been too long. We need to. She needs to journey from being yeah. horrible to being a good character. She was miserable. She was, and that's the problem. And it was miserable yeah. to watch her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, come on! You're not going to defend that. <laughs> not defending anything about that character. If she right. died on the show, I probably would have stood up and cheered. Yeah, I like her sister though. I think yeah, her sister's good. Me too. I think she's really good. Yeah, she's um, just jealous. 
Jeez, just <laughs> right, that's not for the for our arrow our arrow five Remember minutes. That time when we said we were going into the books of the week. We did, but we it's, it's like, believe me, we're getting there early for us. We're only about ten minutes in the show, and we're hitting books of the week. There so, you go. and ninety-eight percent of what we just talked about is in some way comic book related. So we're ahead of the game. I know. Again, I know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not d- blying you, Stephanie. I'm speaking in behalf of the audience. <laughs> Oh, well, um. ignore me. Disregard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just wait till there are five Netflix Marvel shows going. We can talk about it oh once to add to the other so the three. The little Gotham will be on so and Arrow and Flash. And Constantine. Be yeah. It can be overload. I don't have enough to watch. Overload. All right, Stephanie. Enough about watching stuff. <laughs> oh, good. Let's talk about reading stuff. Yes. So we've been singing the praises of Rick Remender the last few months with Black Science and Deadly Class. You went back and read some uh, some old Remender, right? I did. I I mean, he's quickly become one of my writers that I'm following. Um, I mean, everything that I've read of his Deadly Class again, like Black Science and others, have been great. And I, it wasn't that I was looking for Rick Remender stuff specifically, but I was looking through what I had on my iPad already, and it turns out I had Fear Agent. <laughs> oh, wow, convenient. <laughs> Anyways, so um, I have the first two volumes of it, and it's a story about um, an alien exterminator named Heath Houston, or Huston. I think it's Houston. I'm going to go with Houston. I would. Anyways, and he's kind of like rough around the edges. He doesn't, he's he's a loner. He's not kind of a loner. He has no friends, and um, except for his artificial intelligence that lives in his spaceship, course and hmm? i said of course of course and uh he's an alcoholic and you know he just it's not he's an exterminator and that kind of entails he's more like a bounty hunter i guess um at this point in time life forms have been classified certain um classes they've been designated classes so i don't know a through H or something and as an exterminator you're allowed to uh, exterminate like the classes E otherwise like you can't kill like A, B, C, D classes kind of thing. Gotcha. I don't know. Anyways, because those are like higher intelligence beings mm-hmm. um, in the world. So anyways so his job is to go in when there's a problem with one of the lower beings or lower races or alien races and deal with whatever's happening. He gets paid for it. La, 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 la. Um, but, you know, things don't always go right because he's an alcoholic. And sure. He's with weapons, rough apparently. around the edges. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a great story. Uh, Tony Moore does the art, and you might remember Tony Moore from, briefly, from The Walking Dead and the subsequent uh, lawsuit yes. afterwards. Yes, right. Um, but... He's a great artist, regardless of what you think of all that kerfuffle. And <laughs> pairing up with Rick Remender, it's a really fun book. Um, it's oh, I was trying to scroll through this page for a second to find a couple of quotes, but how does I, the Stephanie, How does the tone um, compare to something like Black Science? Um, Black Science is definitely like the dark Rick Remender. You know, it's definitely heavy on the drama and the sci-fi. And it's taking a much more serious tone. 
Um, whereas things like Deadly Class and Fear Agent and some other stuff, which I can't currently think of, that I've read of his tends to be sort of uh, a dark comedy. Like, he, he has that sense of humor that it's like a smart sense of humor. He doesn't go for, like, stupid jokes and stuff, although they, they do exist in his books. But I feel like his work is, um, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But anyways, this is... This has got an overlying story, despite kind of, you know, that sort of cliched, rough around the edges, space cowboy kind of thing. Um, but it's funny, and mm. it's got a good story, and somebody said that it's like a great Indiana Jones story set in space. Mm. Okay. And I think that's pretty, pretty spot on. Nice. Um, it's got... I don't know. Rick Remender is one of those authors where, you know, his work differs. And while it still has his sort of characteristics, it's unique and different from anything I've read from his before. Yeah, I mean, I've heard nothing but great things uh, about that book. Is it as dense as a lot of his work is? Because a lot of his work is very dense with, you know, plotting and, and stuff like that. Um, sort of yes, sort of no. Like, this gets right into things. Um. And it's pretty focused on getting to point the, like the first specific um, story is like point A to point B, but then it kind of elaborates from there. Like he gets a little bit more of a backstory. And then from there, the backstory evolves into the main plot and so on and so forth. Um, but the first issue itself is pretty, you know, read it and enjoy. And then it gets a little more, um, you know, overall, substance i guess as it goes along but it's not super heavy like deadly class i feel like has that heaviness that you speak of like there's a lot to it that you have to mm -hmm. read it a few times to really absorb what's happening yeah um and this is just something that i found i could read right through gotcha have you read his uncanny x-force i haven't i think that. i read the first issue of or first couple of issues that's the one with Psylocke and like it starts with them going into like a club. No, that's like, that that was the new one. That wasn't oh, the one he wrote. That was the that I have not. Yeah, that was the number one after he finished. He did like a thirty or odd issue run um, before that, which is fantastic. It's like one of my favorite things that uh, we've read since we started doing this. So that is something I should be looking into getting. Definitely, absolutely. It's got great Psylocke stuff. Um, b best probably Deadpool I've ever read in anything. Um, really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and great Phantom X and Wolverine's very good in it, and just it, it's 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 really really something special. Huh. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. <laughs> I will definitely have to check that out. Yeah. I, he is becoming like one of my favorite writers. Mm. I, I just he has a really unique style to what he you know puts out there, and I dig what he does with the characters and the settings and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's Fear Agent. Um, you have the first two volumes. I don't know if there's more than that. I know there's a lot of it. I I feel like there's only two volumes out, but I could be wrong. Okay. I mean, I could be wrong as well. I don't, I don't know. I just know there's there's a good amount of it. Um, and your the other book you want to talk about? We didn't we didn't really settle on one, Stephanie. Well, actually, mm. I thought I thought you had gotten. We've been organized, by the way. Yes, we have. We, we've been trying to be good about going back to our roots of knowing what each other's just going to talk about. <laughs> um, but anyways, I was just before I got on the show, 
I was reading X Force. Yes, I wasn't sure if you were going to talk about that or Wolverine because you mentioned both of them to me. No, Wolverine. That book needs to make sense for me to be able to talk <laughs> about it. Because I mean, I already don't make sense as it is. So, <laughs> like, that would just be not good. So, X Force number one. This is the new one, right? Written by um, Cy Spurrier. This is, yep, Simon Spurrier with art by Rocky Kim. Yes. Yeah. So, tell um, me about this because I know it's a. It, 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 the other two X-Force books ended, Cable and X-Force and Uncanny X-Force, and they've kind of been merged into this one book. I heard very, very, um, not even mixed things, I heard bad things about it before, you know, b- w- the week it came out. What did you think of it? Well, okay, so again, a little bit more context. Just before we started, I was talking about a couple number ones that I read and saying that if you're going to renumber something, it needs to make sense to the person who's picking this up you're renumbering it with the intention of drawing in new readers. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. You're renumbering it so whoever walks into your comic book store walks over and says, Aha! That's a number one. I wanted to read this series. I'm going to pick that up. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, a number one is like an unspoken agreement that that's going to make sense because you're starting fresh and you are laying the groundwork for a new series or a new take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, if we're just talking strictly as a number one issue, whether this makes sense or not, I'd probably say no. <laughs> I would probably agree with people saying that, you know, I, I haven't read any of the reviews for it, which is probably why I went ahead and read it. Um, but as a number one, there's stuff that is in here that I don't know about. Like there's a lot of stuff in here that they refer to that I don't, know about i'm just like i I texted bobby a couple things i'm like what happened with this person it's like i don't know i'm like (laughs) oh weird because that's a part of this Mm -hmm. what happened here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) okay well i'll have to look it up on wikipedia later that's no no recap at the front no little where we were before sort of there's a little bit but like to be honest Mm -hmm. that shouldn't for number one yeah shouldn't need that yeah um, and I get what you're saying. Like, I, I think it's good that they're trying to give you a little bit of history, but a number one shouldn't need that. Anyways, mm-hmm. but um, the characters in this uh, are Marrow, Psylocke, Phantom X, and Cable. Mm-hmm. Those are our main characters. And Psylocke, like, I don't know. Phantom X and Psylocke in this are just, he's perpetually trying to hit on her and she's perpetually telling him to die in a fire and mm-hmm. stuff and i thought that their banter was a bit fun and marrow was the character that i really enjoyed out of this whole thing um she's just kind of she the whole thing is narrated from her point of view and she's uh i i don't know anything about her so again fail marvel <laughs> um but she's talking to who what i can assume is her dead boyfriend or husband or something and kind of narrating uh, what's happening to him, but she's narrating it as a song. Like she's comparing the whole issue number one to music. Hmm. And, you know, not like this is like Beethoven, but kind of like, you know, this part has like this sort of melody and this is happening. And, but then, you know, it, it kind of almost seems eloquent that she's comparing it to music, but then her character is just this sort of 
you know, Psylocke will walk up to her and be like, you need to take the shot. She's like, nah, I'm really just enjoying watching them beat the, the crap out of each other. She's like, yeah, but that one's going to kill that one, and you need to take the shot. She's like, yeah, but this is so much more fun. So she's crazy? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's what I heard about it. She's like a little over-the-top crazy. But I don't know. Like, she was the best part of the book to me. <laughs> Interesting. Um, like, it's, it's my book of the week because she was the most interesting character to me. Psylocke was, I mean, Psylocke to me is a lot, is strong and, you know, an awesome character and usually kind of, for me, takes the forefront in any book that I sure. read with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just seemed like an accessory in the book. Hmm. I know now that I'm talking about it, I'm not really giving it good <laughs> words. And I feel kind of bad about that. Because I did enjoy it. I thought it was interesting, and I'm interested to see where they're going with it. Um, it's a very cliche premise as far as books go. You know, they're trying to hunt down um, a weapon that's being used for bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may or may not be, you know, a mutant. Right. X-Force stuff. Yeah. Um, so, how does the book look? It's it's interesting. I, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. It's kind of like Addy Granov meets um, Dexter Soy to me. Okay. Um, but with a really neutral palette, like very gray, brown, um, just kind of bleak and dirty. Mm. Is, um, the, is the art, is the cover art, like the in- interior art? Um, I'm trying to think of what the cover looks like. Is it like, like. kind of, is it like hyper-realistic? I've, I've seen it. It's the same. Sort of, It's yeah. the same. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just wanted to get a picture of it in my head. Um, but yeah, like, I guess I'm not giving this as good of a review <laughs> as I thought. <laughs> no, it's no, like what you liked, you liked a lot, and what yeah. you didn't, you're pretty iffy on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like, I liked it because I picked up enough that I can enjoy it because I read some of The Last X-Force, like a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in touch a little bit with some of the other stuff that's being tied in here. But I guess kind of I got on the start of talking about number ones and how this is a great number one and <laughs> got lost in that a bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fun issue. I, I guess I could see why people would give it a bad review. It's not great by any means. It's not something that I would go into a shop and be like, do you want to check out something new? Check out it for us! <laughs> but for me, I enjoyed it a lot. And I thought it was... I mean, I read a ton of things this week and a lot of Marvel, and this was probably one of the more interesting ones to me. So, cool. Yeah. So X Force number one. You know, a lot of the I saw a lot of talk on on our forums about it, and a lot of, was from people who who had been reading the previous series and were upset in in the way that they kind of left characters behind mm-hmm. and, and combined storylines here. Um, so it's interesting to hear it from somebody who hasn't didn't uh, read those previous series. Sounds like Stephanie and I with X Factor. <laughs> or all of us with X Factor, yeah. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't even get me with that kitten cover, Bob. Really? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm gonna have I'm going one more time with that one. Number so four we'll comes out today, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Stephanie talked about Fear Agent and X Force number one. Some more number ones we got to talk about here. Steve got two big ones. Yeah. Two very big ones. Um, one of our uh, which one are we gonna talk about first? Uh, you want to talk about? Um, I think we should talk about Vale. We're talking about Vale. Yeah, from Mr. Greg Rucka. Yeah, um, Vale number one is from Dark Horse Comics, and it's written by Greg Rucka with art by Tony Fezula. Yeah, yeah. 
that J kind of messed me up a little mm. bit. It's but. like those things they have at like soccer tournaments, right? The Vuvuzela. I don't even know what you're talking about. You know what a Vuvuzela is? Is that that horn? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. Back to comics. The way <laughs> we were doing football. Sports games. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Football. <laughs> the footballs. Eh? So this book is, uh, I mean, Stephanie's, uh, piggybacking off of, of Stephanie's thing about strangeness, there is a bit of strangeness going on in this book. Did you read it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. All right, cool. I even read it. You read Me it. too. What We've the all read it. Is it was going, going to, it was on. going to be my book of the week like three weeks ago until I realized it didn't come out for another three weeks. <laughs> So if anybody if anybody doesn't know what the deal is with Vale, Vale is a very peculiar book in that it starts off with a, I guess, a ritual, ritualistic uh, symbols. And this woman, Stark, Stark Naked, is uh, woken up. She's in like the bowels of Subway laying on the tracks and is essentially woken up by a, uh, what do you call a, b- a bunch of rats? There's a term for it. I don't know. Like a, a passel like of a, rats, a, a horde of rats. Rat king. Right. Oh God, no. <laughs> Ugh. Don't Google rat king. Of course, now everybody's going to go. Yeah. Hey, what rat. are you looking? What word are you looking for again? What is the collective noun the collect- for a bunch yeah. of rats? Yeah. A pack. Like a flock, a pride a pack. of a pride yeah. of lions. A gaggle. A I don't know. Gaggle. I think of it's geese. a pack of rats. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A so, rat pack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Let's she gets woken up by the rat pack. They start crooning into her ear, and she wakes up. And uh, it's it's so bizarre because she's the way that she speaks. She comes she she comes to and she can't really she can form words, but she can't form uh, cohesive sentences. Mm-hmm. And she kind of she speaks in this sort of uh, like almost nursery rhyme, sing song kind of dialect. And it's just it's so bizarre and so weird. And she gets up and she's all out of it and whatnot. Mm. And she's going to walk up out of the subway and into the city and into the world. But the thing, the way to get out is gated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the gate's locked, you're pretty much screwed unless you're part of the maintenance team and you've got mm. the keys and all that. So what are you to do when you're naked and being woken up by rats and you decide that you want to see the moonlight is you rip that gate open with your bare hands mm-hmm. like it ain't no thing. Mm. Uh, and she gets up into the city, and basically everyone within the city, or a couple group of guys that are up to no good, they see this, you know, relatively beautiful naked woman who doesn't really seem to know where she is or what she's doing, and they try to take advantage. Not really something you want to do for somebody that can rip off, you know, wrought iron well, gates right off the hinges. They yeah. didn't. They didn't see that. Part. Yeah, they're just being so seedy guides. Right. They're being human rats. So and, I don't want to say too much about it because if you're going to go and pick it up, I mean, it's a plot wise and where we're at at the beginning of the book, as opposed to where we are at the end, is a very short, like, period of time that mm. not a whole lot goes on. This is more about the the mood of the book and the presentation the artwork for it is absolutely gorgeous it's got this like almost mosaic stained glass artwork to it very painterly um colors all over the place just from from every shade and every palette greens and purples and blues and they're just they're all they all bleed together and this like i said a very stained glass kind of manner uh it's just gorgeous and uh, the reason why this was one of my books of the week is because I read it once and I liked it and it was peculiar and I was like, hmm, 
hmm, whatever. And then when I wrote it down on the list for the podcast, I went and I read it again this afternoon and I put it down and I was like, I like I really like this. I've never read anything like this before. Like as far as uh, I mean, I've read stuff where people have superhuman powers and mm. they're walking around and oh, I don't remember. I got, you know, memento, amnesia mm. and whatever. But it was more about her, the way she speaks and the way that she puts her her thoughts or whatever's left of them together for the people that she interacts with. And then this this one relationship that she's kind of forming where I like the idea of, you know, within a city of scumbags that there's always at least one person that can be your anchor to good and will will take care of you. Not everyone is you know, a murderous rapist. Mm. Yeah. So and he even has that as a dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Dialogue says that himself. Not everyone's a yeah. creep basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh summer Glau's character from Firefly. Yeah. Like, I, then, like in the last episode, all of a sudden, you know, they blow the, the curtain back and mm. she's like, watch <laughs> So there's that. Spoilers. Uh, I don't, please. <laughs> Anybody that listens to this podcast has probably seen Firefly. Not me. I'm only halfway through the series. Well, <laughs> Have you, you seen, seen the, Serenity? Seen the movie though? Yes. I, so yeah, there you go. Shh, I'm just trying to bust his <laughs> shoes a little bit. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm gone for a week. And this <laughs> don't, is what I get. don't bust his shoes, Bob. No, <laughs> no I wasn't so harsh. <laughs> so, all right. So since since we've all partaken in this uh, wonderful new. Oh, and one other thing that I want to mention before I, I pass the stick is uh, if you read the kind of the con- not conclusions, but like the goodbyes section in the back mm-hmm. of the book. This is something that Greg Rucka has been working on for quite a number of years and is extraordinarily, uh, he was very apprehensive about releasing it. He said it just for years and years and years, it wasn't right and he didn't have the right people to make it a reality. Obviously, he's confident enough in it now that he's releasing it to people. And from what I've gotten from it, I could see why he would be hesitant. Mm -hmm. And because he said, he's like, I can't, I can't figure out how to present this car. I have this idea, but I don't know how to how to show it to everybody and how to give it to people. And the idea that he landed on this is what I find the most fascinating mm. about the book. Mm. Um, so, what do you think? I, no, I loved it. I, I think that you know it is bizarre. I'm, it's it's very it's very Greg Rucka. You know, it, it yeah. that that playing in the shades of gray areas. It it, it reminds me. It's funny because it's similar to the beginning of La- Lazarus in, in some ways, where you see this woman who's basically dead who comes back to life in, in a, you know, in a, in a very weird, violent way. Um, I think the art, and I think Rucka says this in the in the the afterward. The art is very important to the book because the art it shapes kind of your perception of the character. Because if you look at what she does, you know, she wakes up, she tear she tears you know, a door off and then she murders three people. If that was just a story you're reading, you might maybe not have the, the sympathy for her that you end up having mm. because of the way she is drawn and shown in the book, these big wide eyes, this very innocent look to her mm. where you get this sense that she's not, that there's something, there's definitely something malevolent about her, but you don't know if that's her full personality or just something about her that she right. does not have control yet. She's and, been through a lot. It seems yeah. like and she's looking naked. at her. Yeah. So the vulnerabilities already built in. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a little girl, in mm. essence. She, her, her body image, when you look at her, she is very... Yeah, she strikes me about, like, well, like between, like, 19 and 23. Right. But mm. uh, no, I don't mean that way, but I mean... Yeah. Skeletal, frame-wise. Skeletal, oh, okay. frame-wise. Yeah, no, she's a grown-up, but yeah. she's just 
slight and frame. Slight and frame. Yes. Lilu multipass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, Stephanie, what did you think of it? I liked it a lot. I mean, as I said, like I, it was going to be one of my books of the week <laughs> until I realized it. Well, it's mine. <laughs> wouldn't come out for a while, um, but yeah, like I thought it was really interesting and like just you can tell that there's a lot more going on in her head than what she's conveying. Um, like the art really conveys things like confusion and all that stuff, but. At the same time, you know that there's stuff that she's not saying or can't say, um, and it's it's really interesting art. I I'm kind of falling off Lazarus a little bit, but I'm hoping this will pick up, um, and it'll be my new Greg Rucka go-to book. Mm. Mm. But well, it's a mini series. Yeah, five issues. Okay. Yeah. Bob was asking Good, that yes. before we started recording. I wasn't. I didn't remember. One of I five. Did, yeah. Uh, and by the way, I looked it up. Rats are often called a, uh, a group of rats is called a pack, but it's also called something much cooler. It's called a mischief. Ooh. Much cooler. Mistress of rats, a murder of crows. There you go. Yep. Like. There you are. So that's um, Veil Number One by Mr. Greg Rucka, with art by what's it, how you say his name, Steve? Uh, Tony Fajula. Fajula. There you go. Tony Vuvuzela. <laughs> Tony Vuvuzela. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. Fazula. Fazula. Okay. It's my favorite pasta. <laughs> oh, but before we move on, Bobby, you you said you mentioned about the character. What did you think of the book overall? Oh, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, this is something. That's why I was asking you what the uh, publishing does, because this is something I'm definitely going to pick up as a as a trade. I can see that coming. This is a seems like a longer than usual single issue. Somehow, maybe it's just so packed with good stuff that mm. it just seemed that way. The art style is, is really interesting. It's pa- sort of a pastel painterly thing. Yeah, and it's both. Flat and 3D, depending on where he decides to give you your point of view, and it it really draws you in. And her haunted expressions, where sometimes she's saying these oddly sing-song, as, as Steve puts it, you almost want to laugh, but it's so sad looking at her saying it. It's yeah. sort of, oh, I, I shouldn't be enjoying this. She's doing something awful here, and then she's focused. She's very focused when yeah. bad things happen. She is going to be either an interesting, flawed hero or a villain you'll learn to love because of what she's gone through, as we find out. Mm. Now, he could, it's Greg Rucka, he could turn this all in its head. Yeah. And this could turn out to be, you know, the mass murder of the century, <laughs> re, you know, reincarnated in this this right. young girl's body. So <laughs> I want to see where this one goes. This is this as a setup. And it's, it's all set up, basically. Mm. Steve said there's not a whole lot of plot going on, but what you get is this mood, this atmosphere, this world we're creating here. I want to visit this one again. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also helped. There's, especially the first half of the book, there's not a lot of dialogue. And I and I like that. I think that it lets the art breathe. It lets you set the scene. And it really gives you that the, the mood of, of the book. And as Steve said, the book is all about mood and atmosphere. Um, so that's Veil number one. Steve. Another big number one came out. This is a Marvel one. All, mm-hmm. all new Marvel now. Yes. Um, Moon Knight, number one, from Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby. Tell me, Steve, do you know anything about Moon Knight before you read this book? I don't, mm. but I have something to read so that anybody else who doesn't know about Moon Knight, they'll know now. <laughs> Are we ready? We're ready. All right. Mercenary Mark Spector died in Egypt under a statue of the ancient deity Khonshu. He returned to life in the shadow of the moon god and wore his aspect to fight crime for his own redemption. He went completely insane and disappeared. This is what happened next. 
obviously. Dun, 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 That's in the very, dun, very beginning dun. of the comic, isn't it? Yes. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, But if you didn't pick up the comic, you wouldn't know that. Um, I know. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because all I knew was that Moon Knight was a character that had uh, what they refer to as uh, multiple personality disorder or... Oh, there you, oh, Bob's got... His is, that his, is that his first appearance? Yeah. Yes. Werewolf by Night, number 32. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... <laughs> He uh, Disassociative Identity Disorder. Disassociative, yeah. there you go. Yeah. You can't say the other thing anymore. DID. It doesn't work. DID. There you go. So, all right. Um, we talked about this a little bit uh, when the brood and board, the last brood and board was, was going swimmingly. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. And we, uh, the question came up of what, what are, would have been our favorite Marvel, all new Marvel Now Now mm. books. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Miss Marvel is, is certainly up there. But if I had to pick a second one, Moon Knight, number one, would be my pick so mm. far uh, from the releases that we've had. I just, I found it to be really smart. Like, this is pretty much, I'm just now getting into Warren Ellis. I've read maybe one other thing from him, maybe two. And so it was really cool to see him on a Marvel book and it's brand new. And what's he going to do with this character? And is this going to be a character that I like? Or am I just going to like the book because it's Warren Ellis and I like the writing, but the character doesn't really interest me, but the writing's good, so I guess I'll go with it, blah, blah, blah. Turns out that I won all around. Mm. And it, it's just, it, it was really, really smart. Uh, the book's got a really, really cool tone to it that it's, he's a, uh, at least this aspect of him is a, he's a detective. Mm. Like he totally reminded me of a Batman coming onto the scene there's been this grisly murder and it's reminiscent to a case that he had worked several years ago with this um detective uh flint that's on the scene and it's just it's cool like like moon knight shows up and he's known for being unpredictable and all these things and so there's a you know rookie cop he's fresh and doesn't really know the score and he's like you know you can't be here moon knight and oh you're just gonna you know this is a crime scene and the detective flinch just like yo chill out this is moon knight we have an understanding if you don't get that you can you can go back to your desk mm-hmm. you know so i really liked that it almost reminded me of like a commissioner gordon and batman yep. res- a level of respect yeah. for one another i like that he called him mr knight yeah yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool um absolutely positively in love with the new design for the mm-hmm. character um just recently they for Marvel Heroes, the big MMO that's uh, free to play MMO that's on the the PC that I play entirely too much of. Uh, they released him as a character about two weeks ago, but he's got his original costume, and it's just this huge, almost like half of an umbrella cape, yeah, coming out of the back, and it looks awful. That's the Moon Knight that I fell in love with on the on the Marvel cards, where I was like, "This yeah. is such a cool looking yeah, character." Yeah, I I don't know. I've Throwing never his little silver moon yeah, shaped things yeah. around. I've never really been into the look of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I I didn't know Jack yeah. about him anyway, so mm-hmm. I can't really speak on it. But um, I just I love the suit and tie. Oh, it's cool hood, mm-hmm. and it's just the way that he's drawn with the just the black outlines, all white. It's almost like negative space on a page. Yeah, it is with with him being on there. Yeah. And um, probably my favorite thing about it is uh, like I I'm just coming off of reading uh, Ecstatics, the, the huge omnibus, and that book, the whole premise of it was strange and weird. And then you have uh, 
next wave, which is by Warren Ellis that I just, I just mm. finished reading the first volume and absolutely loved it. And so I'm in this weird book from Marvel mm. zone right now where that's, I'm really enjoying that kind of stuff from them. And within the last four pages of Moon Knight, the book takes a turn for the weird. Yeah. Like for the really weird. It was weird getting to the yeah. last yeah, four yeah. pages. It, like it was weird already. Mm-hmm. And it was really gritty and it was cool and mm-hmm. it was well written. And it had a couple of laughs in there with the, the blogger, that sad blogger <laughs> mug. Yeah. You know, a little bit of that dark humor mixed into a superhero book. And I'm like, oh, this is cool enough. This is cool enough. This is good. And in those last four pages, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i'm like that do that please do that to me and make this book just what the hell is that yeah that is really weird yeah and i want i want more weird from marvel mm-hmm. and to me this book is weird and i absolutely loved it it absolutely is weird that last page i was like i don't even i was like i don't even know what's going on i had to read no. it twice yeah. i really didn't grasp i was like who is ah oh. well, yeah and then once you yeah yeah it's good it's really good uh the book was great uh, God damn, is it a gorgeous book? Uh, Declan Shelby's yeah. art is—it's it, of course there's the, the the depiction of Moon Knight, which is great, and I think that it almost looks like uninked an uninked character in the middle of of a you know a finished sure. page, which is very very cool. I love the we, we heard about this before the book came out, but this philosophy that the reason he wears all white is because he wants them to see him coming, which I think is very very cool yeah. and very good reasoning. I think they're doing an interesting thing here where. He's basically saying there's been a million different incarnations of the character. All of them exist. They're all this one person, and this is how that and this is how yeah. that works. I think that's I think that's ballsy. I mean, it's Warren Ellis, so you you expect it to be ballsy, but it, I think it, it's pretty cool. Bob, I mean, I listen. I I the the character, the look of the character, I always was enamored mm-hmm. with. I've never read anything with Moon Knight in it before. This is my first exposure. Steve's first exposure. Um, wait, before we get to you, well, St- Stephanie, did you read the book? I did. And this is, is this your first exposure to Moon Knight as well? It is. So what did you think of Moon Knight number one by Warren Ellis? I really liked it. Um, I thought it was a bit dense for what it was. Like it, it took me a couple times to go through mm. um, some things. And actually the digital copy was missing a page. Oh, Uh-oh. yeah. But somebody had pointed it out like on my Twitter feed. So, and they posted up a photo of the missing page. So I was able to see and anticipate where, that was going to be like, I know knew there was a missing page before I went into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, whoops. <laughs> um, anyways, but it, I liked it. I thought it was a cool thing. And like what you said, Bobby, about the whole, it's cause he wants them to see him coming. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at, there's the one scene with the bad guy, um, where, you know, they're getting ready for this big battle and the guy finally, He's like, all right, it's on. <laughs> and then he's like, no, it's over. Yeah. You love and that quick just, cut. Yep. Yeah. It was awesome. Mm. Um, it kind of, well, like there was a little bit that took away from it afterwards when he's like, well, this just looked important. <laughs> and I kind of just liked it being like, you know, the whole, it's already over. Like right. I liked thinking that he was just a badass. Well, I think he was being kind of like, sarcastic about it i know you know know. he was being a badass he's like that looked important you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) but i really liked it i liked the um the vibe of it the feel i liked the art especially um it again it was there did seem to be like a lot all at once um Mm. but i think it was necessary because the character is pretty complex yeah um 
and it would be hard to keep the interest without putting a lot of that stuff in there initially. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I, I think it's something that I'm going to come back for. And you know, like on the Misfits, we had we talked about Warren Ellis at length. Um, and I have like a new appreciation for him, so I want to see where he goes with this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, Colorist Extraordinaire, Dirty Bel Air, yes. is mm-hmm. on the book, and it looks gorgeous that way too. So her and Matt Hollingsworth are going to take over the world. It's true of colors. <laughs> it's true. The world's going to look beautiful. Um, so beautiful. And this, in this case, it. there weren't a lot of colors, but they're used very, so very well. brightly in densities of grays and blacks. And yeah. So, Bob, as a person who he, you have the first appearance of Moon Knight in yes. front of you, and it's got nothing to do with what this book is, right? Which is but great. as someone who's read, yeah. a, you know, who's read the character, who yeah. knows the character, as opposed to us who has never mm-hmm. have never read him, what did you think of this book? I think it's really interesting in that all these aspects of his personality that have been layered onto this book mm-hmm. are in play. Mm-hmm. We're going to deal with with Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant. Jake is the cab driver looking guy mm-hmm. to the right. right. Stephen Grant's another millionaire now. Moon Knight eventually started out chasing around Jack Russell, the werewolf by night. The uh, group called the committee gave him his outfit and stuff to go, well, go hunt this werewolf because we need werewolves because mm. we're going to take their blood and make monsters and rule the world. And, you know, that's what you do. Mm. And he turned around to be a good guy at the end of his two little arc. Doug mentioned uh, Don Perlin back then. And as, as the years went on, he was sort of the low-rent Marvel Batman and the multiple personalities is a thing from the shadow, mm. where he was a whole bunch of different identities depending on who wrote him and when and how and what Lamont Cranston was doing at any given moment. And the character has kind of been up and down over the years. Uh, there was a Bendis one, I guess, is the last one of any real <clears throat> note. Yeah, Bendis and Maleev did, did an arc um, not that long ago, a couple of years ago. It was right, I think it was going on still when we started this show. So like two years ago or mm-hmm. so. Didn't last particularly long, like I think like eight issues or something like that didn't last long. But yeah, that yeah. was the last big one. So here, I think we've put the right creators on the right book, and it's a number one. It'll be interesting to see what these numbers are. Mm. He, he's got a higher profile at Marvel than he has lately in terms of Warren Ellis. This book is going to show up on a lot of lists of people who say, wow, the coolest new book on the stands oh, for yeah. what it looks like, mm-hmm. and that is going to get people's eyes on this. And if they can, if they can you know, sort of get themselves through the density of this— and get to this ending and just knocked out as we all were looking at these last four or five pages. You're, you're it's just incredible. Yeah. It's going to be a fun run, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's Moon Knight number one. All right. Moving on. Bob, let's see here. What should we talk about first? Let's talk about She Hulk, huh? Okay, Doki. It's She Hulk number two. It's Charles Soule, Javier Polito. Mm-hmm. And it's Jen's first day in her new office, basically, after the events of last issue where she got a huge check for, you know, annoying Tony Stark for an afternoon and beating up some legal robots, has opened an office. And we get to see her trying to hire some uh, paralegals. Are those supposed to be the Big Bang Theory people or something? I'm not sure what that... I I didn't read it, so I can't tell you. They don't look like them, but... Okay, I (laughs) I wasn't sure. Uh, But you get to see her, her new building manager and her new paralegal is this really strange woman named let me get this right it's over here someplace angie huang who comes to an interview with a monkey for no (laughs) particular good reason except her monkey always comes with and it's a darling monkey i have to say (laughs) but it's just it's just really really bizarre (laughs) i mean why yeah i don't know because you can right 
I like to pretend that it's a crossover monkey from uh, Why the Last Man. It's ampersand. <laughs> okay. It is certainly possible. In, <laughs> in this day and age of crossover comics, it could be just about anything. I think, I think Angie here has a secret. I think mm. we haven't quite figured out everything about her yet. We're not going to know for years. Real problem in the office is Jen doesn't have any work. She has the blue file, which we now find out what it is. It's a lawsuit against the Avengers oh, from years okay. ago that her old firm is like, well, you can have that one because mm-hmm. she's being sued and Wyatt Wingfoot and Dr. Druid and all sorts of people are being sued over this. And she's not getting any work and makes calls all around and she's being blackballed by her old firm. Oh. Not good. So she's having a pretty crappy day when Patsy Walker shows up and thus go out. So there's some drinking going on and some clubbing, and Patsy's having a bad day, too. Apparently she's, let's see, she did split up with her first husband. Her second one was the son of Satan, which which never goes well. No, of course. Especially when you end up dead and in hell and then repowered and all those other sort of things that happened to poor Patsy. Nope. We will go into her history a little later, because I've got a whole pile of books here just for fun. And what Patsy wants to do to get away from stuff is to just go punch something. (laughs) But she's kind of soused. Mm-hmm. She's in her cups, and it's and Jen's trying to say, "Look, we, we we've the same amount to drink, and you're not drunk. Well, I'm three times your size, right. <laughs> powered by gamma rays, you know, Patsy. It's like, well, you can go or not, but I'm going to punch things. So she's going mm-hmm. to some AIM laboratory. Okay. Good luck. You can always beat them up, yeah, right? Yeah. Except they're kind of ready, and being a drunken Hellcat isn't exactly the best thing to do when they've got giant killer robots." So we end that up. That would make a great band name. Yes, it would. <laughs> so we end up in a situation where Patsy's captured by the bad guys, and I'm going to leave it right there. Jen right. has has a decision to make. Uh, it's quite a lot of fun. I love this sort of slice of life story. There's a lot of that. There's a, a neat way of setting the mood with with her superhero superhero friends. Get a nice little closure to all that. I'm enjoying this art, but now that I've heard, I, I saw something that Stephanie posted about one of the two-page spread. That now I can't get out oh, of God, my, yeah. my own brain here. Sperm eyes. There's Sperm Alpha. eyes. <laughs> but it there, does. It's there's camera like rays. One thing. There's one thing that those, like, if you draw that, that'll look like. No matter what. No matter what. And guess what it is? It's sperm. <laughs> I loved those two pages before she opened her mouth. <laughs> yes. I, I can't look at it any other way now, but they're gamma rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do see what... what <laughs> I think the layouts are really imagine of the shots of her coming down the stairs as his uh, Javier Polito's Hawkeye issues were, were just mm. a lot of fun in that way. Some of the faces are, are starting to look a little weird to me. Where I thought I'd be <laughs> getting used to them, but there are a couple of odd things here but it is just the sort of art style that has to be on this book it needs to be lighter and fun i don't know if going forward this will be the best choice for everyone i I hear there are people grousing Mm. you know beyond us i'm really i'm not i'm no i am really enjoying the book i have to say and the art is not affecting me one way or the other but if i keep hearing about sperm eyes it might i'll say about the art though um that panel the double page spread where um She's getting a tour of the new office. Yes. Um, that was beautiful. I mm-hmm. thought that was extremely well done. But what he doesn't, like, he does interesting and unique kind of big panels like that. Great. He doesn't do close-ups well. He doesn't do faces well. Like, mm-hmm. the eyes, especially. Like, they just, 
they look like they have reverse cross-eyedism. Like <laughs> every, and it, it, it's like, I don't know. I can't get past it. Like, it's just really weird to look at the faces. But when he does these big layouts, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just wish that, like, I know it's, I'm nitpicking, but like, I wish that he would, had a better style for when it's up close and personal. Mm. Because you've been loving the writing, right? Yes, I think it's a great book. I think it's fantastic. And, um, you know, I really want good things for this book. I think it's great to have a She-Hulk book out there and for her to especially be done well. The art style, I agree, Bob. It needs to be something like this. It needs to be fun, and it doesn't need to be bogged down by, like, sort of heavy and overly familiar superhero kind of art. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, It does need to be kind of some mix between this and something else though. Like, I mean, maybe I'd love it to see maybe him do like the first arc and then have somebody else switch it up. But it seems like something out of She-Hulk, a She-Hulk story from Marvel's Strange Tales books. Okay. Um, yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like he's not a bad artist. I really want to like, you know, reiterate that. Like, I don't think he's a terrible artist. I just don't think it works on all aspects of this book. Right. The the close-ups are what really are getting at your sensibilities yeah. here. Like, it takes me out of it because, like, I wind up staring. I'm like, what's she looking at? Is she looking left? Is she looking right? <laughs> I don't know. Where do her eyes go? Who knows? No one. Ridiculous. <laughs> okay. That's just, that is a bit ridiculous. But I, it, I think the book is great, and it has potential to remain great. I think Charles Soule was an excellent choice to put on the book. Um I like where they're going, where she's not working for a big firm. She's doing her own thing. I like the interesting, um, you know, paralegal. And I like the involvement that they're they're bringing Hellcat into this. And it looks like she's going to be, you know, a Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) co-star. Spoiler. Well, I'm not saying how. (laughs) No, I'm just Um, looking at the two pages of their night out. And that is just so charming. Yeah, like there's a lot to love about this book. And I think I said before, if the art got distracting, that I don't think I'd be able to read it. But I think the writing alone is worth carrying on. And I will keep reading it so long as uh, Charles Soule keeps on doing her justice. (laughs) Puns. Nice. Steve, what do you think about this book? Oh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, You know, everything that everybody said. But I, I like the art. I like the art a lot. Uh, I definitely see when she the sperm eyes thing <laughs> is now forever. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. You can't know. It's yep. one of those things you can't unsee. Uh, that said, though, I I, I read uh, Catherine Eminen's Hellcat collection and just absolutely loved it. And I said it way back, probably more than a year ago, when I when I talked about it on the show that if Stephanie was a Marvel superhero, she would be Patsy Walker. <laughs> uh, it's just the way I see it. So it's fun to read She-Hulk and see her out with Hellcat and kind of, it's like watching your friend hang out with She-Hulk. <laughs> you could say yeah. something if you want, Steph. You are on, I know oh, you're sitting no. here. Party. It just, it adds, <laughs> it adds another, of another level of entertainment to the book for me personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. I like the, I've, I kind of, I like the density of it. I know that in the first issue, we were a little apprehensive as to just because that issue, that was heavy. Mm. That was a lot, a lot of legal, legal jargon. Yep. Yeah. 
this is more dense in character development and attitude, but it's funny too. The her, her receptionist is a riot. Mm. It almost reminds yep. me of like an Archer character hmm. uh, to an extent, and uh, it's. I love the the sisterly aspect of it. I just in two issues the the book has been wonderful. It's it's going in in a good direction. Uh, I don't know what the sales are like. I'm hoping that it's know yet. finding yeah. an audience mm-hmm. and that people are digging it. I hope that for the ones that don't like the art, I hope that the ne- the negativity of that isn't circulating the book too much, whereas people aren't picking it up because it's worth picking up. It's very, very smartly written. You can tell that Charles is bringing his expertise of being in law into the book that they could not have asked a better person to be mm. on the book to carry that aspect of it. I think if somebody else wrote it, it would have been a lot of fun, but a lot of like she's she's identified by the green and stuff, but everybody knows that she practices law. So she works on both ends of the spectrum where she's a hero and then she fights also in the courtroom. And I think having somebody that adds that level of authenticity to it and it feels real even though it's in a superhero world that aspect of superheroism that's though all those laws still exist and people have to abide by them and uh it's just interesting to have a superhero character that superheroes are constantly breaking the law and racking up billions of dollars in damages for cities and stuff like that to have somebody that's on the other end of that and understands what all of that stuff means i just think it's a cool book to have around nice yeah uh, Bob, do you want to talk about uh, the character now? Or? Sure. Okay. Let's just go this really quick. Patsy Walker goes back to 1944. Meow. Uh, created by a woman named Ruth Atkinson and Stan uh, all those years ago. She was actually the art director at a company called Fiction House. They did Planet Comics and all sorts of things, and she was not getting to draw, so quit and went across town to Timely. Patsy Walker ran for 25 years. Hmm. Actually, she and there was another character that uh, Ruth Atkinson did the first two years of Patsy and also did the first few issues of Millie the Model, <laughs> Millie Collins. And Millie and Patsy end up in the Marvel Universe proper because they're, they're trying to crash Reed and Sue's wedding in oh, annual okay. number three. <laughs> Cut to uh, the early 70s and Marvel in an attempt to be liberated, let's put it that way. Uh, started a book called Beware the Claws of the Cat, and that was uh, created actually by Stan, Marie Severin, and Wally Wood, who was over at EC, but had been with Marvel doing uh, Daredevil for a while, and written the first few issues. Actually, there were only three of them, and then four didn't get published. A woman named Linda Fight was writing it, and it's Greer Nelson in this cat outfit. It's the Hellcat outfit, you know, slightly modified, who you now know as Tigra. Okay. This hmm. is so it's her origin, and so you had this character in that suit fighting crime, and she, it turns out she's one of the mystic cat people who can become a were cat when she's dying to give her blood transfusion. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, that's claws of the cat number Did, one. Go ahead. Question: Did she start off like super saucy when all Ooh, the way Patsy? back then? Yeah. No, in the 1944, she had an edge, but she was not nutty. Okay. She was feisty because she was a redhead. Okay. As opposed to Millie, who was a little icier, but they were they were humor characters. Mm-hmm. Though eventually she did marry uh, Buzz Baxter, who, when she next reappears in the Marvel Universe, it's Amazing Adventures fourteen and fifteen with the Beast Henry McCoy, 
These are the issues where he changes from being a regular person into the the gray or blue furry beast. Mm. She shows up as a background character with her husband, who who is now the head of security for the brand Roxxon Corporation, those evil corporate guys. And then a couple of years later, she's looking for help from Henry, who's now in the Avengers. They end up trying to sneak into Brand. He's firing missiles at them. There are bad guys. It runs across Avengers number 144, which is Steve Englehart, who did those uh, Amazing Adventures issues. And she's helping the Avengers. They all get captured. He's trying to kill them. They're, they're running down some hallway, find some warehouse, sort of like an Indiana Jones warehouse. And they're sitting on a box is Greer Nelson's Hellcat outfit. Captain America says, look, we need as much help as we can. This might help you survive this. Try, and he goes, no, wait a minute. That's just ridiculous. And she was, no, no, I'm going to do this. Turn around a second. She helps the Avengers get out of this mess. She is, that's when you see the feisty Patsy Walker. It all surfaces. She wanted this. That's what the deal she made with Henry. We see that an issue or so later. She's, oh, spoiler alert for a 45-year-old book. She preserves his secret. No one knows he's mutated. He's been, he wears a mask to try to still look like, like Hank McCoy. And he shows up at her doorstep wounded and horribly beaten. And, and she, I, I know, but you, so you have to promise me that someday you'll make me into a superhero. Mm. So it goes across like six, seven issues of this Avengers book in, in the 70s. And at the end of it, they're going to do a new lineup again. And Captain America offers her a membership in the Avengers. However, she declines. There's a character called Moondragon who's actually involved with Thanos and the people on Titan and all other Drax the Destroyer. He's actually, she's actually Drax's daughter. If we want to get real, now I'm getting really deep here, but yeah, <laughs> she's actually Heather Douglas. She's the daughter of Drax the Destroyer. That's Moondragon. She takes Hellcat. Interesting. She hmm. takes Hellcat off into space to learn to train her, her senses and her powers. And then she comes back to the defenders and that's where she meets the son of Satan and gets married and goes to hell and dies and comes back and all that sort of stuff. <gasps> there was, Deep breath. It's interesting because there was recently a bit of casting news for the next Avengers film. And one of the speculations is that the character in question might be Moondragon. Ooh. Now, if that's the case, that would be tying Avengers into Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Yep. Yeah. Whoa. I'm the first person to figure that out. That's pretty That's pretty darn good. They were out driving. No, he, not. Uh, I think his name was Art Douglas. They're driving out in the desert going to Las Vegas or whatever. And you know, Thanos shows up and blasts him to oblivion and just changes him into the Destroyer. And it's all, also kind of crazy. All he had to do was get a different rental car and go in a different direction. <laughs> but he didn't do that. Anyway, so that's... That's the brief history of Patsy Walker Hellcat. And that was all from She-Hulk number one. She-Hulk number two, sorry. <laughs> yes. See how it, go, it all works, but yeah. I digress. You do, do digress. Um, Anybody want a rainbow cookie? So it's not during the podcast, dude. Come <coughs> on, Hulk. Come on, they're delicious. You can't eat during the show. And you can't offer cookies to people who can't have them. Yeah, that was mean. <laughs> we'll send you one they do look delicious, email. Though. Maybe it was on purpose. So, Bob, you only got a couple more issues where you can talk about this book. Yes, I will do it right to the end. Go ahead. You, uh, you. The movement, number 10. The, the, the end, I guess, of the Batgirl crossover. Yes. How did you feel about this, this conclusion? I am sad because we are only two issues from the end. This was possibly my favorite issue of this series to mm. date. We get a, a really good glimpse at the difference between the two locales and how things are different in Gotham and here and yet how they're the same. Mm. 
there's so much here I can't, I don't want to spoil, but let, let's just put it this way. We, we end up with Barbara at the end of the last issue has been captured by the folks in the movement and Virtue has decided that, well, they'll at least take a picture of her with her mask off so that they have some sort of leverage. It's not going to get published, which we hear here, but she's going to take it nonetheless. Barbara wakes up in the middle of this and has a flashback to being wounded by the Joker. It's mm. really, really affecting. She starts to lash out in the tremor saying, hey, wait a minute, you're a little confused here. You're mm. not at home. This mm. isn't what's going on here. And she takes out, Barbara takes out everybody. Yes. It is a spe- spectacular sequence. Barbara's used very, very nice here by, of course, Gail Simone and Freddie mm. Williams II's artwork is, as usual, great, though we have a different cover artist this time. Stefan Rue, who did tons of great work on Zatanna in the old oh, okay. 52. In the midst of this, Catharsis, who has a problem with Barbara from back in Gotham City and the whole Nightfall storyline, has gone off in search of the perpetrator that Barbara was looking for, Horizon, who's killed two people in a mugging back in Gotham City, super-powered fella. She hooks up with him? She does hook up with him. Superhero Superhero, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Barbara and Holly come to some agreements. They yeah. realize how things are sort of different in these two places. And in, it, they are alike and different, and they begin to see that in each other. And it's just, it's really clever mm. how this is done. We have some really interesting developments with Mouse and Tremor, where I'm not going to spoil this great joke, but there's some, he's infatuated. Mm. Very much so. Yeah, you know, he'd he'd probably get along very well with Vale. Yes. Yeah, he would. Yes, he had he had crossed my mind once. Yeah, or twice it, it, yeah. It could it could really sort of work, but uh, we end up in a situation where they have to go. The, the rest of the movement, they're going to go out back after a catharsis. They they get from the, the folks from Channel M start to give them the particulars. He's got to go to jail. He's killed people, and they're Gotham people. And Barbara wants to impart that to them, but. In the last moments of this, and I'm not, I, I swear, stop, punch me if I start to go down the, the whole I'm speech. I'm not going to punch you, but you've given a lot of the book away. Okay. <laughs> There's a wonderful confrontation near the end where we hear about the differences, the same as what Barbara has done before. And we just, we just sort of end up with, beyond that, I just think this is a really great book. It's, it's just lovely characterization across the board. The art is great. And sadly, it's, it's the, Four of us and 4,000 other people who are now reading this book. <laughs> as it comes down, the sales are dropping like a stone, mm. apparently, now that it, it, mm. the cancellation's been announced. So hopefully mm. the trade actually comes out. Right. I'm sure it will. But as, as we're closing this book off, you know, Holly Virtue is, is saying, you know, we don't always get to choose, Batgirl. We don't always get to choose. Speaks to everything involved here. <laughs> and I'm sad speaking about this book. What did you guys think of... Number ten. I mean, I thought it was great. You know, just like every other issue, I, I liked the. I guess just like the last issue, I like the fact that you get to see. You know, you get to see the Batgirl as the law. You know, even though she lives outside the law, the, she has a code and she lives by a certain way. And these people don't necessarily do that. And she is, you know, they come to an agreement, but there's all, there's a lot of force from her, and I think almost a mentorship from her, in in a way saying. Yeah, we, I understand that you guys have had a bad a bad time of it, and I don't completely get what's going on with you. But there's a code you have to live mm-hmm. by, and I don't care if this guy is, you know, confused or alone. If he's killing people, 
He cannot be allowed to walk around, no matter what your political leanings, no matter what yes. your your revolutionary stance. You know, there are things that just cannot be allowed to happen, and this is one of those things. So I, I like that stuff a lot, and I like at the end how they kind of um, open up what the possible future for some of the characters in the book after the book is canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was very good. Very, very good. That was my favorite part of it. Mm. Was the there's a there's an offer on the table. Yeah. And I I also like that Gail is writing this book until the end. Like it's not sometimes when a book gets cancelled, they try to cram I mean, obviously you want to tell your story, mm. you try to cram as much as you can when you get that word and you find out you know, oh rewrites and let's go back and change a couple panels to try and wrap this up and stuff like that. It seems as if Gail is writing it so that it's going to feel complete mm-hmm. by the end. Uh, and not to mention, you got a great two-issue cameo from Batgirl, yes. which it might not have saved the book, but it certainly upped the level of entertainment uh, for two issues yeah. that perhaps once it's collected and people hear about it more or people read it because it's, you know, they have it all at once and they there's a maybe like a calling for it. Some Batgirl fans might go to it because they find out about it later. It just, it's a book that I feel was not promoted properly from the start. Mm-hmm. And it's also just, it's one of those books where it's a whole bunch of characters that no one knows. And that's always a risk. Right. I saw it was on her uh, Tumblr page, I think, in this mm. last week where she was putting blame on herself, mm. saying, well, maybe I could have done a better job in promoting these characters or finding a different way to tell the story that would have let people in despite the promotion problems that mm. we all, we've talked about since day one with this book, that mm. maybe there's something she could have done too. I'm not sure that you could have overcome what went wrong. Well, it's, early, just, but. it's so weird because when it was announced, it was during that, it was during a very, you know, for us in the States, at least a very political time. There was a couple of months where everybody was doing this whole Occupy mm-hmm. thing and the 1% and the 99% and rah, rah, rah. And DC, they ran with that whole fever and promoted both this and Teen Trillionaires as, you know, the left and right. And it was just a really weird, it ended up looking like a Rage Against the Machine mm-hmm. album cover That's right. yeah, for, a, for yeah. a promo. And just it, nothing about that promo told me that I should read this book. I read the book because it's Gail Simone and because I wanted different characters in the DC universe. And I got that, and it was awesome, but nobody... By that time, it was like I felt like it was too late. Right. I mean, yeah. but look, it's a calculated risk by the PR department because the PR department knows it's a book not with characters that you, characters you don't know. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to find any way to drum up interest in a title that maybe is probably dead on arrival regardless of... Mm-hmm of how you promote it this way they're trying to they're trying to rope in people who maybe wouldn't necessarily look at a book that if you showed them the cover of the movement they would want to read it you know but that was a very big thing at the time so they were hoping i guess to rope in people who maybe you know maybe they knew they probably turn off some people but maybe they were hoping they'd rope in people who are politically minded because i mean the book is about the have and the have nots it's not it's not overtly political but it is about the people who don't have anything. It's the underclass, absolutely. underclass fighting back against the people who are oppressing them. Sometimes in in the wrong way. So I think in that way it's apt. I just think that they went a little bit too far. I think I think the real problem was encasing it with Green Team because they made it seem like they were partner books. They're you know, synonymous with one point. another. <laughs> yeah, and they weren't. They just weren't at all. And I think it hurt. I I think it it hurt both books because mm-hmm. they almost seemed like they were going to be. So, so, so if you read if you enjoyed Teen Trillionaires 
And you're like, oh, let me read the companion book to this. You expect something kind of light and airy and funny. <laughs> and instead you got what Gail was doing. And then people reading the movement go, oh, let me check out the other side and Green Team. Green Team. They read that and that wasn't anything like it. So I think that was the real the problem with that. But we don't want to talk so much about the negative. The movement is, is a great, it's great, a great book. book. Buy the trade paperbacks. Make sure the characters live somewhere down the road. Stephanie, I don't know if you're caught up with this book or not, but... I haven't read it yet. Okay. I just finished reading Gail Simone's Tomb Raider book. Oh, nice. Not this, which... Yeah. Did any of you guys read that, by the way? I did. I did not. What did you think? I thought it was like Luna Brothers art, and the writing wasn't that good. My my problem with the book was primarily the art. Uh, I found the art to be extraordinarily stiff. Which that... is weird because I found it to be almost exactly like the Luna Brothers stuff. All right. Well, I mean, I for me, something like, I mean, Alex and Ada, that environment, that is the world that they're living in. So I totally, except, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to debate you guys about. Guys are freaking hijacking my book of the week. Hold on a minute. Wait an hour and 20 minutes to talk about my books. Let's talk about Tomb Raider. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> All right. I won't, I won't get into the Luna Brothers thing, but my thing is this. Lara Croft is a woman of action, okay? She moves, she leaps, she bounds, she kicks people in the face. And in this book, she's she's jumping and she's just like stuck in the air, like jumping mm. off the wing of a plane and she's just like, hup, and that's, she like, it's like, you know, Zach Morris yelled, freeze, and everybody, yeah. or time out, or whatever the hell he does, and she just froze there. The writing, if you didn't play the game, the new game, like the reboot, you are all but lost. I think the premise of it is really cool that the consequences of the the plot in the game, that the people that she lost on that inaugural trip of hers, that they're kind of they're they're in her life still as specters and their memory is kind of haunting her as she carries on into the next step of this adventure that she's on. But if you didn't read if you didn't play the game, there was nowhere near enough information to fill in those gaps for you wow. to understand what the hell was going on. And I thought that was really weird uh, coming. Caters to people who read it. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And that, that, I mean, I played the game, I got it. And because I played the game and I knew who the people were that were around, it was cool. But as, as a number one Tomb Raider trying to, to bump her up to like, cool comic book status where people are going to want to go and pick up a Lara Croft comic book. I don't see it in this issue. I'm hoping that it gets better. Um, and I also just wish to God that they had chosen a different artist. I really did not care for the art. I liked the colors, but I did not like how stiff it was where she's, she's getting up from a chair and it's, it's her half cocked upwards and just frozen in that position while talking. It, it bothered me. So can you tell? Yeah. I apologize, Bobby. I also really don't all care. I wanted to ask if you guys had read it. I'm sorry. I'm done. Bobby, what'd you read this week? I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, you do. I don't even want to talk Come about on. it anymore. Come on, Bobby. So, really quick, just want to say, Afterlife with Archie almost made me cry this week. It was freaking amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing books. I threw it on the ground. I did. I threw it on the ground. It's, it's freaking great. That one panel with uh, Vegas. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I took a photo of it where like there's there's a panel with Archie's dog, oh, and it was heart wrenching. It, it literally broke my heart reading it. I couldn't even believe it. And there's another wrenching moment that happens later in the issue, which should be equally as wrenching. But the dog thing killed me much much more. Um, 
but really, really great book. I mean, it's it's a book that the, the book that I picked up is almost uh like I thought it was going to be a humor book. I thought it was going to be like, oh, look what a, silly how yeah. silly it would be if there were zombies in the Arch universe. Is this really intense? It's dark. Yeah, yeah, it's dark, really well written, interesting take on on these characters. Oh, really? previews spoiled it though. Oh, I didn't see the previews. Don't read previews because I, like I don't. in the previews, like it says, "Rest in peace, blank." Oh, oh, oh man, that sucks. Yeah, so like they spoiled somebody who dies, I guess, in the next issue. Like, no, I'm definitely won't read it then. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> uh, but it, it's amazing, and uh, Francesco Francavilla, great, great job as always. I think the first trade is on the horizon. Probably pretty April? soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's coming out in May. May, okay. okay. There we go. Uh, and also, really quick. Uh, Action Comics number twenty nine, Greg yep. Pak and Aaron Cooter. This book is friggin' great. I mean, it. I, I had a couple of those kind of like hell yeah moments reading it, where I wanted to like put my fist in the air. Just great Superman stuff. The art by Aaron Cooter is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Greg Pak is nailing Superman. This is easily has already become one of the best. Uh, I think one of the best DC books and one of the better superhero books in, on the market right now. So it should be a book you're picking up if you have any interest in Superman. Uh, definitely be picking oh, you it up. showed me a couple of the panels yeah the, now, this is his third issue or second issue this is his third this is greg pack's fourth issue but it's his third issue with uh, um the first issue was a zero year book, oh, okay and this is the third in this kind of regular regular arc it's excellent it, it, yeah. he seems like superman yeah he makes the right faces he's mm. not overly violent mm. he's heroic says the right thing and always tries to do the right thing yeah and boy isn't that what you want out of superman and, and it isn't and, corny or anything else but super heroic yeah there's a lot of tremendous stuff from lana lang as well yeah, yeah. lana lang's great it's she's been really kind of the revelation of the book because the fact that he's decided to have it a dual at least his first arc be a, a dual narrative between the two of them sharing voiceover and you always you know we always talk about trying to humanize the character trying to make it more relatable she's the perfect person for that because she's this she's this character from his his childhood who whenever he's around her he just becomes that kid again. And, and so they have that, that great kind of old relationship that brings out the, the very normal person in Clark. And it, it's, it's really, it's really, really good. Um, so those are just two quick ones I want to mention because they're just too good not to, to put out there. But so Starlight number one by Mark Millar with art by Goran Parlov. Uh, I was very, very close to not picking this book up. Yeah, I had it on my pile, and then I ended up putting it back. Um, but like always, Rob was like, just just get it. Just read it, because you're going to want to talk about it. That's what he did to me. Yeah. And I didn't fall for it, though. He did the same thing with this and Magneto, which I was glad about, because Magneto, we talked about in Brood and Board, it was yes. very good. Uh, so Starlight is from Image, and Mark Millar, you know, he very conveniently reversed his, his position on digital comics right before his <laughs> new book came out. And somebody on Twitter was like, nobody does it better than this guy. Like, he's just, he's the best at it, at, at promoting himself. But the book is about a kind of an, an aging man who his wife has just passed away and he, it, it, you know, his, his kids have kind of moved on. They're not really coming around. And there are these, these stories and, and kind of these jokes uh, made about him because he claims that when he was uh, younger, he got taken by an alien race to their planet and was became the hero of their planet. And then they, they brought him back and, you know, People made fun of him. People, he was disgraced. His wife stuck by him. Now she's passed away, and his family isn't really coming around. And he just, he's starting to feel useless and alone. And 
the first thing that struck me about the book was how much heart there was in it. Because I've read some Mark Millar stuff, and I think he's a good writer, but he's a very, very, um, I think, violent writer. You know, a very mm-hmm. intense writer, a very satirical writer. And that stuff might come in this book. But what we have here is kind of really a, a touching tale about this man who it seems like he gave up being the hero and the, the, the king of a planet because he needed to get back to his wife. That, that's what the sense you get of, of him. And this book sp- spends time, you know, with the present day, what's going on in the real world, him dealing with his wife's death, and then cutting to him on this other planet doing all these crazy feats and, and these big fights. And it was, it was very, very engaging. I, I think the art by uh, Goran Parlov is, is really, really nice. It, it has a little bit of a Paul Pope type feel oh. to it. It's a little less stylized than Paul Pope. But it's I feel like, sorry. Go ahead, Stephanie. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I have legs, so it keeps on interrupting at the wrong times. But okay. it's like Paul Pope and um, Mobius. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's really, really nice. A uh, really, really nice looking book. The colors are also really, really beautiful. A lot of purples and, and really rich colors. The colors is Ive Sorokina. I didn't say that name right, but I tried my best. Yes. So I mean, I don't know, Stephanie. Did you get a chance to read this? I did. Sorry, leg again. No, it's um, okay. But yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. I read a preview of it um, in the Image Previews book from Image Expo. And that honestly was kind of just like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I wound up picking it up because that was really uninspired. It was just the first couple of pages of the book. But I mean, without the rest of what happens, it doesn't really have much meaning. Um, the first two pages, rather, when he's in another world. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but I thought it was a great story. And like you said, like, it's very anti-Mark Millar. Yeah. Like, it's like everything that I've known about his writing, it's everything that it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, you know, it's not, there's not lots of gratuitous violence and so far. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and all this other stuff. Like, it's just a really good, solid story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean... I, I don't know where we're going from here. I, it, it seems like we're, it's going to abandon, obviously, the, the dual perspective, and it seems like he's going back into the, you know, into the into the fray, into the alien world. In fact, the description of the book says so. It actually is one of the few comics that has a like a almost you know a book like a summary on the back of the book, and it says forty years ago Duke McQueen was the space hero who saved the universe, but then he came back home, got married, had kids, and grew old. Now his children have left and his wife has passed away, leaving him alone with nothing except his memories until a call comes from a distant world asking him back for his great for his greatest adventure. So I'm really excited. You know, I, I like I said, I was really on the fence about it. I, I, like Stephanie, like I, I, Mark Millar has always meant kind of one thing to me. And this book is totally different than that. And because of that, it makes me want to you know push on and, and see where it goes. So Starlight number one, I, I, re- I recommend it. I, I highly recommend it. And if, if you, if you're worried, it's kind of another like superhero deconstruction or something like that. That's not what it is. At least not so far. Okay. seems like a, a kind of a, it's going to be a fun sci-fi tale with, with, with some heart. So uh, definitely check that out. If that sounds interesting to you, my book of the week though. Uh, holy fuck. Forever evil. Number six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've been talking about this for a, you know, a while. And I, I think I, I, Forever Evil tie-ins and Forever Evil has been a book of the week I think for mine for three of the last four weeks or whatever it is and 
you know, to me, this is how you do events and you do them right and you do them without them seeming huge and bloated and, and full of, you, you know, hot air and extra air. No, content aside, I mean, if you don't enjoy the story being told, that's one thing. But I'm just saying the execution and the the philosophy behind how you project this event out, I think this has been really kind of fantastic. For me, too, I love the story. I think John's doing a really stellar job here. I love this issue especially. I love it because we've been dealing with these villains who are fighting against the crime syndicate, and they're they're kind of the, some of the most complicated and interesting villains in the DC universe: Lex Luthor, Captain Cold, Sinestro, you know, Black Adam. And along the time, you 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 kind of you seem to you, you kind of forget that yeah, they're interesting villains, but they're still villains. So they do some stuff in this issue that really reminds you of that. They do some very harsh things, some things that you know Batman would never ever ever do to 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 win the day. And you know, initially they caught me off guard, but when I rethought about it, I was like, well, yeah, but why wouldn't Captain Cold do this, or why wouldn't Lex Luthor do this? That's what they do. That's just who they are. And I loved that kind of juxtaposition between the good and the bad and how those things worked. We get a huge reveal about who's under the the hood, the, the guy who's been kind of their prisoner the whole time. If you know the crime syndicate, who he is is not going to surprise you, but what he can do will surprise you. I had kind of guessed two or three issues ago who was under that hood, and I was like, oh yeah, I was right. But then there's another twist upon that, which I thought was pretty was pretty awesome. And, you know, we also, we finally get, we've been, we've been teasing and teasing and teasing what's going to happen to Dick Grayson. And at the end of this issue, we still, it's still not set in stone what is going to happen to him, mm. but we finally, it moves forward. And I think in a really effective scene, uh, yeah, it, it has great battles in it. it. has It has great character moments. I, I really, really loved it. And I, I cannot, I, I have no idea what's going to happen in the last issue because things got so freaking crazy in this issue. But I'm really, really excited to see what comes next. Steve, what did you think of it? Well, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of watching a television. Like, let's say you're watching Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. and you're getting to the final episodes of the season, and shit's just ramping up. Mm. Everything's coming to a head. That's what Forever Evil is doing now. There's one issue left. Yeah. So everything is is coming to a head. And it's the whole issue was that moment, like the last five minutes or the last three minutes of an episode where there's just every time that they go to a new scene, Mm. there's something going on. There's like five different things going on in five different parts of the show. And they're doing they're doing like big cliffhanger things Mm. all at once. And your heart's in your throat and you're just sitting there and you're like, uh, and then all of a sudden it's just, you know. Black screen credits. You gotta wait until next week, or in this case, next month. And you're just like, "What? <laughs> no! But you were just no! Ah!" And yeah, um, I am astonished by. I've said this. I think every issue that this has come out, I really had to eat my words on this event. It's been a lot of fun. It's been very I creative mm-hmm. from from where I'm sitting. I've never I've never experienced uh, an event like this and just really really from what I assumed that it would be to be as wrong as I was I could not be <laughs> more happy about that like mm-hmm. I am I am admitting that I like totally you had me fooled <laughs> and it's all the better for it right it's been so much fun and it's really engaging 
really well written and uh I I really enjoy the violence of it because it's quite violent. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I shy away from that stuff, but in the in this case, I I'm like like cheering for it. I'm like, mm. like you know, <laughs> kick him. Yeah, and just you know, so and the twist, I I didn't see the twist coming, mm. and uh, even when it happened, I was like, who's this guy? And then I I kind of I read what he what he yells over mm. again, and I'm right. like, oh, okay. <laughs> so um great i i can't wait for issue number seven to see how it all wraps up i mean this could end up being you know the best event that we've had on the show mm-hmm. since we started doing this I mean, there have right. been a lot of cool events yeah but i don't remember having like a fever mm-hmm. for for them like i do for this one right so absolutely thumbs up yeah for every bowl number six of seven we'll see how it all wraps up next month All right, so that does it for our Books of the Week segment. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with Ted Adams, publisher of IDW. We are back, and we are honored to have with us Ted Adams, publisher at IDW. Ted, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. I appreciate you asking me to be here. Of course, of course. So you guys are are celebrating an anniversary. Hard for me to believe, but it'll be 15 years in April. Wow, 15 years. Um, Especially since I tell everyone I'm 35, so that means I started (laughs) IDW when I was 20. I don't know. (laughs) Um, what was it like 15 years ago? Take us back, you know, starting up the company, you know, um, this arm of the company and, and going into a market dominated, you know, by, by primarily two big companies. What was that like? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, when we started 15 years ago, we weren't publishing comics. We were a creative service company, which means that we were doing art and graphic design for entertainment companies. So people would hire us to execute their ideas, essentially, and, and we would do all that on a work-for-hire basis. And we had a pretty good roster of clients. Our biggest client at the, in the early days of IDW was Upper Deck, and specifically Upper Deck Entertainment. They were just getting into the non-sport trading card business, both in the form of trading card uh, trading cards and trading card games. And we more or less did all the creative for them in the, in the early days of that division for Upper Deck. So... Um, we did a bunch of other stuff. We did video game strategy guides. Uh, we did maps for them and, and uh, some world building. We're also part of the initial launch of Mage Knight, which is a, a thing that WizKids did with Jordan Wiseman. We did all the character design for Mage Knight, uh, the, the collectible uh, miniatures game. So hmm. so when we started IDW, it wasn't actually as a publisher. It was only in about, uh, I think, about 2001 where we started to... Uh, publish and and that came about because my background is all in comic book publishing. I worked for Eclipse Books and uh, for Dark Horse Comics. Also worked for Wildstorm and and for Todd McFarlane. So I had a long uh, resume working in comic books. And because of that, I knew a lot of people in the comic book business. And and one of the folks that uh, had become uh, one of my best friends is Ash Wood. When I was working for Todd McFarlane, I hired Ash to do a bunch of covers and some interior work for us. And uh, we just, you know, was just chatting with him on the phone back in 2000, 2001, and he had an art book that he wanted to publish, and so we decided to do that. And, and that book, which was called Uno Fanta, was actually the first book that we published through IDW. Wow. Okay. So, and what was the process like? 
you know, from starting with that, that one kind of seed and then blossoming into, uh, you know, a full-fledged comic publisher? Well, you know, what, what, we, what was fun about it was is that, you know, I love publishing. And, and like I said, I worked in comics for a long time. And, and I've been a reader my whole life, not just comic books, but, but you know, any, anything, nonfiction, fiction, um, you name it. And, and, you know, my family would always joke is I would be the, I would always want to just sit in the room. We'd be at the Grand Canyon and I'd rather just sit in the car and, and read a book rather than go look at the Grand Canyon. So, <laughs> and so publishing is something that's always been in my blood and, and reading is something that, you know, just seems to be in my DNA. So when we published our first book, it was really exciting for me, uh, you know, having actually having that physical book in my hands, which is something that it just felt good. Um, it, you know, I just it just something that, that something about bringing a book to the world that hadn't existed before was really exciting. And so even though that particular book didn't, you know, it wasn't like it was a giant moneymaker for us, but it was just something that we were really proud of. And that then led us to doing some prose novels with Steve Niles, who was another old friend of mine all the way back to when I worked at Eclipse. And so we published some prose books with Steve, which then led to us doing 30 Days of Night uh, as a comic book. And that uh, that book over time became hugely successful for us. And then around that same time, we did CSI based off of the TV show. Uh, and that book was also really successful for us. And in a lot of ways, those two books sort of set the direction for the IDW that exists today. And that is is that we do the licensed comic books, but we also have a, a nice line of creator-owned books. And like I said, that really goes back to the very earliest days of, of uh, IDW comics. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked about you know being the publisher of IDW a couple of times and you love you know being the publishing business. I, we talk about you know the different publishers, the different companies a lot on the show. I don't know if any of us or anybody of our listeners really know what a publisher does. You know, what what is your job? I'm sure it's different at the different companies, but sure. what does your job entail? Well, you know, my job, it, the way I see my job is this, is it's to bring books to the world. And so and what I like about my job is, is that one of the things that I'm proud of is that IDW is a really diverse publisher. And a lot of times people try to pigeonhole us because they, they like one thing that we do and they think of us as that publisher. So if you're a Transformers fan, you really only think of IDW as Transformers. Or if you're a Joe Hill fan, you think of us as a lock and key publisher. Or if you like our classic comic reprints, you think of us as a place where Library of American Comics exists. Or you think of us as the Artist Edition publisher. But 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 we're diverse. We do you know we do all those things and lots more, including prose books and art books and all kinds of fun things. And so I see my job as a publisher to support the people that work for me, and and meaning the editors and the creators that work for me. I try to create a, an infrastructure with my business so that they so that they don't have to worry about making sure the bills are paid and that the books are going to get printed correctly and that all those behind-the-scene things are happening so that the editors and creators can go out and, and, and make great books that we can bring to market. So, you know, I think every publisher is probably a little different. Some publishers are, are very hands-on. Uh, with the with the creative process and and I'm not that kind of publisher I you know I certainly have opinions on creative teams and and uh, some maybe sometimes input on who should do covers and maybe even some input on the editorial direction in real broad strokes but but I'm not a guy who's going to go in and say hey that panel on page three needs to be redrawn mm -hmm. <clears throat> and about your kind of philosophy and, and the company itself um, Stephanie I know you had a question right yeah um, what's your personal philosophy for the company or the company's philosophy overall? 
Well, for me, it's published good books um, and, and always has been. You know, we, and it's not to say that we haven't published some bad books because, you know, that's just the nature of, of publishing the volume that we do. But everything that we do, we set out because somebody at IDW is passionate about it. There's there's nothing that we do that's just purely done for a cash grab. It's, it's all done because there's somebody internally that's passionate about it. In the early days of IDW, that was me. You know, the, if you look at the first probably, you know, two or three years of the company, those were, those were, all those projects were things that I was personally passionate about. Then we brought on Chris Ryle, who's an integral part of IDW uh, even today. He's our, our um, chief creative officer and editor-in-chief and, and clearly helped grow the business in significant ways. Uh, he brought in his passion. We hired Scott Doonbeer, who brought in his passion, specifically the artist editions and uh, the Darwin Cook Parker adaptations. And um, and so each, you know, each person that we bring in has things that they bring to the company. We have guys that are, you know, really really passionate about Transformers, and so they work on those books. And we have an editor who really likes to work on kids' books, and so she does the Cartoon Network books and the Peabody and Sherman and Rocky and Bullwinkle. And so, you know, in, in its simplest terms, we, we, we want to do good books. And so if you like a Transformers, if you like Transformers, we want to make the best Transformer, Transformers books that we can. Okay. Um, another question for you, too. Uh, what does IDW do that no other publisher does? Well, I think it's that I think it's that diversity. I don't think there's any other publisher out there that's as diverse as, as we are. Certainly, the big two are really you know laser focused on their um, on their superhero universes, and they're and they're great at that. And if you look at the our, you know the publishers that are in in our space, uh, Image is very much a creator owned business and creator owned business only. Eric Stevenson's very happy to <laughs> to tell the world that uh, how little he thinks of licensed comics, and so you know he does he does that really well. Um, Dark Horse is probably the company that's the closest from a diversity standpoint, but even even Dark Horse, who I love, is not uh, just you know just not as diverse as us. We do, like I said, lots of art books, the artist edition, the prose books, the licensed books, the creator-owned books, the comic strip reprints, the comic book reprints in the form of the stuff that we do with Craig Yo. It's that I really think it's that diversity that that separates us from from everybody else in the business. Well, on that front, sort of, I was, I'm a huge fan of, of John Byrne, so I'm, a th I'm thrilled that you've given a home to a veteran creator like that. Now, what is the relationship with a creator of that status like? And are there any other old-timers you have in your head, sort of, that you'd like to bring on board for a passion project? Well, you know, you know, certainly, um, John, I grew up reading John Byrne, um, you know, his X-Men comics and, and certainly the next men at Dark Horse, which we ended up you know, publishing here at IDW. Those were those are books that were influential to me as a reader um, as, as I was growing up. Uh, as far as that relationship goes, that's actually a relationship that Chris Ryle has with John. Um, I don't know that I've ever even spoken to, to John as much as I like him and, and, and love the books that he does with us. That's really Chris's um, Chris's relationship with him that. Um, Chris has Chris has uh, worked with him on a on a you know day to day basis for for many 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 years. But what I like to think is is that while John doesn't necessarily know who I am, part of the reason, or I mean, he certainly knows who I am, but but we don't have a he and I don't have a personal relationship. But I think what what I hope that he that he likes about IDW is what I referenced before, which is that he knows it's a place where we're not going to get in his way. Nobody's going to come in and and mess with his work, and he, he doesn't have to worry about the infrastructure part of a publisher. We're going to you know he's going to get his checks when he expects it. He's going to get his royalty statements when he expects it. He knows the books are going to be well printed, and you know in addition to his personal relationship with Chris Ryle, I think my, my hope is is that that's what he likes about IDW. Um, as far as you know, creators that I'm passionate about that that um, that I'm excited about that we're working with, uh, we have some projects in the works with Dave Sim that um, that are that are very important to me, and and um, 
that's a case where I actually am I am Dave's contact in large measure with IDW, and and um, he's got a book called The Strange Death of Alex Raymond that will be publishing at some point, and and uh, it's just I think it's an unbelievably important graphic novel, and it's really going to uh, going to surprise a lot of people. That's about Alex Raymond, the Flash Gordon artist. Correct. Yes. Oh. Well, you've, you've got my attention right away. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting book. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've had the, the fortune. Dave's actually done quite a bit of it. So I had the opportunity to read uh, probably it's uh, 80 or 90 pages of it. And it's, um, it's just extraordinary. It's a, a, just an unbelievably good piece of work. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so my question is, uh, this past year's Comic-Con, we were fortunate enough to sit down with uh, Kazra Gambari and Menton 3 of 44 Flood. And this was during the time where they were uh, kind of brought into the fold of the IDW label on a on a bigger scale. And I was curious, um, how do you go about bringing in new talent and unique voices like 44 Flood uh, to work with IDW? Well, you know, I think that one is, you know, it's, again, relationship-based. Uh, uh, ben Templesmith is part of 44, 44 Flood, and, you know, Ben's with IDW, Ben with IDW since the, the various earliest days of our publishing with 30 Days of Night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, IDW's been the home for Ben for much of his much of his work, uh, Wormwood and, and um, Welcome to Hawksford and Groom Lake and right. his art book and, you know, many other things over the years. So um, one of the things that Ben did that I love that um, sometimes gets overlooked is he did a book with us that's about the presidents of the U.S. where he did a portrait for each president and then and then had a little bit of a biographical information. And um, if oh. you haven't seen that book, it's it's well well worth searching out. I, I love that book. Do you know um, what it's called? I think it's called, I think it's just called Presidents of the United States. Oh, um, I got to find uh, that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, but um, but uh, that's a fun book. But but that, so that relationship with Ben, um, and then we also separately had a relationship with Minton um, because mm-hmm. he, he'd been doing work for IDW for a long time. In fact, I mentioned the creative service work that we that we were doing in the early days of IDW. We actually still do that. Um, mm. You know, we just don't talk about it much because it's not you know it's not something that we publish and it's not <clears throat> probably particularly interesting for comic fans. But um, but Menton used to do a lot of creative service work for us. In fact, he and I joke about it because he did a job uh, for us that was for a for a video game company that nearly killed him because they <laughs> they requested eight thousand changes. So and oh, Menton wow. is such a good natured guy and you know yeah, he, totally. he put up with uh, he put up with uh, really uh, just an unreasonable <laughs> unreasonable request from that particular client so uh, but Menton also did he did Silent Hill for us and um, right. you know he certainly has published uh, the books that he does with Cosra through us so so I think that was again you know it was a relationship those were both you know in that case those were my relationships and, and um, I think that that Cosra and Menton trust again that it is part of that trust that they have with IDW that right. they know that, that you know they know that our infrastructure is here and that we're there to support them and we're not going to we're not going to meddle in their editorial uh, when they do a book with IDW right yeah I found them through uh, monosite and uh, memory oh, sure. collectors and uh, right. it, it really brought me into the into the fold of, of the IDW label and it's it's been really cool to explore it ever since so uh, right, oh, that's, nice. that's that. nice to hear I love those books you know and, and oh, they're, they're they're, phenomenal. They're, um, their uh, production design on the collected editions for those books is great. I absolutely love them. Yeah, they're, so, they're extraordinary. And, you know, and that's a big unique. part of it for me with 44 Flood in particular. You know, those are, again, those are books that I'm passionate about. I love what those guys are doing. I love their art, and I love the fact that they're telling comics in a way that nobody else is. And so that's, you know, it's I, I will, they will always have a, a, a home at IDW for as long as they want it. That's awesome. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. And you're talking about your, your passions. When you look back on, I guess, the 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 15 years of working and the i guess with a 13 or 14 years of publishing comics um is there one that you go that's like a favorite of yours that you say like we we knocked that out of the park you know and is there something you're very excited for in the future 
Well, you know, there are, there are, you know, I have a, it's like asking who your favorite kid is. Yeah, so, I know, I know. You know, a, I, you know I have lots, but, um, but there are a couple that, you know, that, that do rise to the top. I mean, for, you know, for one thing for me, it's, it's so hard for me to, to believe that, you know, I've published things like John Romina Spider-Man, you know, I mean, you think about, you know, we, we published Walt, Walt Simonson's Thor in the form of artist editions and Will Eisner Spirits and Grew and, you know, so the books that we do in the artist edition line, every single one of those books is something that is important to me and that I'm, that I'm really proud of and frankly are things that I would never have thought, if, you know, if you were to come to me 15 years ago and say that you're going to publish Walt Simonson's Thor and you're going to publish Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli's Daredevil and, and Sergio's Grew and Will Eisner's Spirit, I, I would have said you're out of your mind. I mean, it's just, you know, that, that sort of thing is, is seems... Would, would have seemed so fantastical as to never never have entered my mind. So there's you know there's those those books that that I'm really proud of, um, but the things that we you know that we created at IDW that weren't republishing other people's works. Um, there there are lots of things. You know, Thirty Days of Night, of course, the books that we do with Ash. Um, but there are a couple that that um, over the last probably five years that are really important to me. One is the Parker adaptations by Darwin Cook. Um, those books are you know I love those books and and uh, I actually loved the novels themselves long before Darwin um, ever uh, approached us about doing the graphic novels. We actually had a lunch with Darwin. I don't even know when this was, probably five, six years ago. Scott had, Scott Dunbar had recently joined IDW and said, Hey, you know, Darwin Cook wants to have lunch. I'm not exactly sure what he has in mind, but he's got something he wants to pitch us. So we drove up to LA and had lunch with him. And, and honestly, I mean, this is Darwin Cook. So, you know, he could have said that he wanted to honest to publish the menu from lunch that day. And I would have published <laughs> that. But, but, um, you know, he said, oh, you know, there's these novels um, based on this character Parker by Richard Stark. And I was like, Darwin, I know those books. I read all those books when I was in college. I love those books. And, you know, he said he wanted to do adaptations of them. He could have knocked me over. I mean, I just, <laughs> it was so exciting for me that not only was I going to do a book with Darwin Cook, but we were going to do adaptations of these novels that I loved. Um, the onus then became on me, of course, to figure out how to go get those rights because um, Don Westlake, who was writing this Richard Stark, uh, you know, he, he didn't know anything about graphic novels, and, and so there was a you know there was a process in going through his literary agent to be able to get those rights, and, and so you know that's that's what I brought to the table in that particular regard. But I, you know, I'm just I'm really proud of those books, and I love working with Darwin, and and um, you know his work is extraordinary. Uh, so there's that, and then the other, the other big one for me is Lock and Key, which is uh, by Joe Hill and Gabe Rodriguez, and um, you know, Joe is a is a writer that that uh, I learned about um, through Neil Gaiman's blog a million years ago, um, before Joe had broken as a big um, New York Times bestselling author that he is today. Back in those days, he was a, a really good short story writer, and at that time had only published a collection of short stories that, that was with a UK publisher. And so, because of Neil Gaiman's blog, I bought that book, and I just absolutely fell in love with those short stories and emailed him, and luckily he'd heard of 30 Days of Night and was interested in working with us. And and so he pitched us Lock and Key, and at that point, Chris Ryle um, really took over the project and, and uh, brought on Gabe Rodriguez, uh, who has only ever worked for IDW. Uh, he, he started with us on CSI, our very first CSI comic book, and then moved on to a bunch of other things, including uh, um, some Clyde Barker adaptations and some other things. Uh, but that, but but lock, so lock and key with Joe and Gabe, and what that's become is you know just something that I'm really proud of, and I do think it's something where IDW really got behind that book in a big way as a publisher, and uh, we did I think we did everything that a publisher could to make sure the world knew that that book existed, and the book is so good that it that it really found a, an audience um, relatively quickly and continues to find an audience today. It was the number one. 
uh, New York Times bestseller for three weeks in a row, um, and, and just fell to the number two spot last week. So, um, so it's you know that that book is something that I'm really proud of creatively, but I'm also proud of the way that we, the way that we acted as a publisher behind it. Yeah, I mean that's one of the the favorites for us. You know, it's yes. one of my favorite comics, one of my favorite stories of all right. time. So yeah. it's. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's one of those ones where you know a lot of times it's people can't can't uh, they they can't stick the landing as it were when it comes to you know stories that have a beginning, middle, and end. And I think in this case, uh, Joe Joe and Gabriel stuck the landing. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's it's actually a really good gateway drug to people who don't read comics. Cause no question. We've gotten yeah. multiple people yeah. into reading comics just by handing them you know volumes of Lock and Key. Um, yeah. And you know, you, were t- you were talking about before when you were talking about John Byrne about you know the paper it's printed on and the, and the way it's made. You know, all of your your hardcovers and stuff are are, are extremely high quality. You know, um, really, you, you feel good about having them in, in your collection. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a, a conscious effort by by you guys? Is that, a, is that something you guys want to want to have out there? Are these beautiful editions of the books? It is, yeah. Really, in the from the earliest days of IDW, there were two things that we thought we could do to differentiate ourselves. One was that we weren't going to do superheroes because you know Marvel and DC, Marvel and DC do superheroes better than anybody, and there was just no point in us trying to trying to trying to dabble with superhero characters. You know, and we and we have a little bit here over the years, but but in large measure we don't do superheroes. But the other thing that we thought we could do is really differentiate ourselves with print production, and so. You know, so we so we put a lot of energy into the graphic design, but also the the physical production design of our books. And we were doing things ten years ago that nobody was doing: embossing covers and doing foil stamps in interesting ways, and die cuts, and all, you know all kinds of things that are are more common today. But when we first started doing them, nobody was doing those kinds of things. And and certainly that's our goal today: is to try and bring interesting physical production design to everything that we do. Uh, and it's not just our collections that are that are printed on that good paper. All of our comics are also printed um, on higher quality paper and and uh, thicker stock than, than uh, most of the comics out there. Hmm. Now to take that in another direction, uh, as you know, both for IDW and the industry in general, can you foresee a day where there won't be monthly actual printed comic books and either collected sort of novelizations or graphic novel trade paperbacks or digital only releases? No, I don't. I, you know, I think that we're unique. We're we're lucky as far as print media goes, um, because we have that we have that audience that wants to collect what we do. And so, you know, I think that I think that comics have continued to have success in the print format in a way that your local newspaper or weekly magazines don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the difference is, is that there's it's two things. One, there's that sort of addictive nature of comic books. You want to go to the comic store every Wednesday to get your you know, get your, sure. your your new reads. But it's also, you know, people who like comics want to own that, they want to own that physical product. And so, um, so you know, I certainly don't see any, there's no version of IDW where we don't do comic books. Our, and frankly, our business model wouldn't work if we weren't doing the, the physical comics. Awesome. I'm a fan of the physical. <laughs> I've been reading comics for 50 odd years now, and it's, there is that fetishy nature of holding it in your hand sure. and smelling the paper and just <laughs> sitting there. No, it's, it's the truth. It, it's, no, it's, there, it's a yeah, piece totally. of art in your hand yeah. that nothing else is quite like it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, like I said, that's what differentiates us from, from pretty much every other form of print media. Hmm. Um, I'm curious, actually. Now, having so many like big nostalgia properties, such as Transformers and G.I. Joe and My Little Pony, how does like did you and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and yeah, Star yeah. Trek all of them all of them there's so ma- there's so many of them yeah. now was that a was like a conscious decision to go out and procure those properties or was that something that just kind of happened 
No, it wasn't. You know, I, you know, Chris Riley was really the driving force behind us um, going after the Transformers license in a big way, uh, and then the success of that then led us to the other the other properties that we have. But it wasn't there wasn't a business plan where we said, "Hey, we're going to be the you know the nostalgia mm-hmm. licensed comics company." It wasn't it wasn't uh, as well thought out as that. It just it, you know we 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 discovered there was a market for that. We we recognized that we were good at it, and uh, right. and like I said, we're fortunate that we have people who are passionate about those projects. If you look at Turtles as an example, um, the guy who writes that for IDW, Tom Waltz, is also an editor at IDW, and you know he just lives and breathes the Turtles and mm-hmm. meets with Kevin Eastman all the time, and they go over they're plotting all that out. And the editor editor of those books, Bobby Kernow, is just you know he's really passionate about the Turtles, and so you know it's that. It's, these aren't just people who are doing this for a paycheck. These are these are these are guys that they love what they're doing, and I right. think that really shows in the, in the books. Right. So you have you have different basically different people pulling in different uh, properties and different things that they're passionate about into the right. into the IDW label. Then exactly, exactly right. Yep. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so you know, we we talked a lot about the things you do publish and the things that you know things you're most proud of and. What what's next in the in the in the future of IDW? What what do you what's your hope for IDW? Well, we got some creator-owned books that we're launching this year that I'm really excited about. Um, the uh, the first one we're actually launching via uh, free comic book day. It's called V Wars, and it's by Jonathan Mayberry, who's a terrific novelist and a New York Times bestselling author. Um, and we actually did V Wars as a as a prose book that was edited by Mayberry. Um, so that comic book is by Jonathan Mayberry and then drawn by Alan Robinson. And the Zero comic comes out with for free comic book day with the first issue coming out in um, April or May. And uh, I think that's just a really fun horror. It's kind of an adventure horror comic. The premise is basically that, that there's a virus that's uncovered or that's, uh, that's released. And that virus um, interacts with our DNA. And so it, 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 all humans have a vampire gene in their DNA, essentially, and this virus unleashes that. And the way it manifests is different all over the world because vampire mythology is different all over the world. So the way it manifests in the U.S. is different than the way it manifests in Germany, which is different than the way it manifests in South Africa. And so it's all these really these really interesting takes on vampires. But then it's also it's called V-Wars for a reason because it's a big, giant uh, war story between vampires and humans, and so uh, so that comic book is really good. It's completely action packed. It's got some some really great horror scenes in it. And Mayberry is a is a really terrific writer, uh, so I'm excited about that one. Uh, then we're following that up with uh, Winter World, which is a book that Chuck Dixon did with um, Jorge Zafino um, many many years ago that we republished as a graphic novel, and um, uh, Chuck is actually bringing that back. Uh, as an all-new comic series with us, and the the comic book is going to the new comic book is going to be drawn by Butch Geis, and um, and the pages on that are really just unbelievable. It's just uh, Butch is just absolutely nailing the art on that book. So uh, so that comes out in May, and then uh, actually I'm sorry that's in uh, June, and then in July we have Ragnarok by Walt Simonson, which uh, you know uh, as I mentioned before, big Walt Simonson fan going back to his Thor days and everything he's done since. So Ragnarok is basically Walt's take on Norse mythology. So it's a new. It's not um, you know it's not superhero versions like uh, like Marvel's Thor, but it's it's Walt doing uh, Norse mythology in a in a really fascinating way. Uh, so I'm excited about that one. And then the next creator on book comes out uh, a month later, and that's Little Nemo in Slumberland by Eric Schanauer and Gabe Rodriguez of uh, Lock and Key fame. And basically, that's an updating of the of the classic Windsor McKay comic strip. Uh, from the turn of the century, so um, so those those four books in particular, from a creator standpoint, I'm I'm really excited about. 
on the artist edition front, we have um, all kinds of cool books. We're doing our first comic strip artist edition, which will be Charles Schultz's uh, Peanuts artist edition. So we're actually going to be doing uh, those strips at pretty close to the size that he drew them. Um, so it'll be a fun thing for people to be able to see. You know, those comic strips that we all grew up reading at, basically looking at them as if they came off his drawing table. We're also doing uh, the Watchmen Artist Edition with Dave Gibbons, which is, again, you know, the idea that IDW is going to publish um, Watchmen art by Dave Gibbons is a, is a pretty amazing uh, thing. Uh, we're going to be doing the uh, Shield by Jim Steranko, so the classic Shield stories. So, um, so I'm really excited about those books. Uh, Dean Mullaney's got some really cool books that he's doing with Library of American Comics. We're doing the third volume of his Toth biography. Uh, so that'll be coming out. Uh, it's called Genius Animated, which is looking at Toth's animated animation career. Uh, that's a really, that's a great book. Um, if you haven't checked out the Toth biographies that he's done for us, um, those are, those are uh, one's called Genius Illustrated and one's called Genius Isolated. Those are books that, that uh, any comics fan should, should pick up and read. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, and, you know, I could go on forever, but uh, we're also doing a uh, we're doing the Richard Stark Parker novels. So we're actually going to republish the prose Parker novels with all new illustrations by Darwin Cook. So uh, the first one of those comes out this year, and Darwin's turned in all the drawings or you know all the paintings for those, and and um, they are just flat out beautiful. So when uh, Scott Dunbar showed them to me, I, I, I said, you know, I just want to, I want to buy every single, I wish I could afford to buy every single one of these originals so I can frame them <laughs> and put them around the office. So, um, so, the, you know, so we're doing those on the license front. We've got um, lots of cool things. We're doing a, a crossover with all the cartoon network characters, which would be the first time that's ever happened. So it'll be um, Samurai Jack crossing over with Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's laboratory and Ben 10. And, and uh, that's a big so fun, fun story. That's uh, written by Louis Simonson and, and drawn by Derek Charm. So that'll be a, that'll be a fun book. So, um, so yeah, lots of lots and lots and lots of uh, interesting things coming out over the next couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's it's a promising future for IDW. I do want to ask you last question before we let you go. And we talk a lot about on this show about you know diversity in comics and women in comics and stuff like that. And I want to get your opinion as a, you know a major person in the industry and someone you know who sees it from the inside out you know, where you think we're going in that terms and how far we've come in just the past few years? Well, I think, you know, certainly there's, there's lots of room for improvement. No question. I, um, uh, I was actually ranting about this at a comics pro meeting, I guess probably three or four years ago. Cause it was, I was in a, I was at this meeting and I don't remember if it was like Dallas or someplace. And it was, you know, it's the, um, basically comics pro is a great organization of, of some of the best comic shops uh, in the country. And they all come together once a year and publishers can come and, and talk to them about their books and, and there's just a chance for everybody to get to chat about the business. And we were sort of all mingling um, at a bar or, you know, having a social hour sort of a thing. And I looked around and it was all men. I, I was, you know, it wasn't all men, but it was, it was virtually all men. It's probably like 95% men. And, you know, I had a drink or two at that point. I just sort of ranting. It's like, listen, like we got it. We, this isn't, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, like this is, this has got to change. We can't have, uh, you know, our, our business be, 95% men, that's, that's not healthy. Um, and, and, you know, so that was the, on the retail side, certainly on the, on the creative and editorial side, I do think that we've seen some improvement over the last couple of years. I think that for a long time, um, you know, I think that women just were self-selecting not to go into the fields because it just felt so 
uh, off-putting. Uh, you know, the industry wasn't felt so not open to women to have creative and editorial roles that I really felt I really feel like for a long time they were self-selecting not to do that. And I think we've what's really changed that is web comics and people being able to do it, you know, do it themselves as far as creating comics and and really forcing themselves through that door. And and you know, nothing makes me happier. Certainly at at IDW, you know, we. You know, we don't, it's not a, there's not a, it's not a, a, a boys club in any way. And, 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 you know, my preference is to try and hire, to have us be as gender equal as we possibly can. The one place for me as a company where I've been able to make us more gender equal is, is in, uh, typically has been in, frankly, non-editorial roles. So if you were to look at the payroll of IDW, we're probably 40% women, but they're not, but they're in, they're in different roles. So they're in the, the digital services roles or they're in the accounting roles or um, office manager type roles. Uh, uh, so, you know, that's in sort of where we, where we're a little more gender diverse. But I do think if you look at our, our creative pool, we, you know, we, we are pretty gender diverse there. It's certainly nowhere near 50-50, but, um, you know, we, you know, I think particularly you can look at the, the uh, My Little Pony books and some of the Cartoon Network books, and, and um, we actually have a, a woman who's writing a Transformers book for us, which I think is uh, maybe the first time that, that there's been a female creator um, writing a Transformers book. So, you know, I think, I think the industry's getting a little better. I, I like to think that we're, you know, we're helping to lead that way, but certainly there is lots of room for improvement. All right. Thank you, Ted, so much for, for talking with us and for uh, celebrating IDW's 15th anniversary uh, with talking. No, well, again, thanks. I you know, appreciate, you, appreciate you guys asking me to, to be on, and I'm happy to, uh, happy to help you at any time I can. All right. Thank you so much, Ted. Congratulations. Thank right. you. Thank you. Right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was our little talk with uh, Ted Adams from IDW. We're going to take a little break, and we will come right back. All right, we are back. Thank you so much again to Ted Adams from IDW for joining us and talking all about IDW and its history. Um, hope you guys in, enjoyed the interview. We only have a little bit left to do before we, we get out of here. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody. Uh, last week's show, we had we had a debate on the show about the Eric Stevenson speech, and we got a ton of feedback on the boards. We got a few emails. Um, I want to. I read it. We read them all. I read all of it, and it's awesome to see you guys interacting in that way. I'm really glad that you guys gave your opinions. Everyone was super respectful and awesome. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for that, because uh, it was great. And I want to thank Joe Tremonti actually sent us a very long email, which was which was very mm-hmm. well thought out. And I wanted to thank him for saying that in. Um, not going to read it on the show because we already talked about our opinions a lot, so I don't want to rehash it too much, but. Thank you guys, because that that was awesome to hear you guys respond to a real, you know, intense conversation that we had. It was great. Uh, this is a less intense question. This is from Kyle Garrett. All right, super bad, super bad, Larry. He super says, bad. "Hi guys, one of my friends asked about Captain America comics for her younger son who is in kindergarten. I can't easily help her because the run I am most familiar with was was when Cap quit in the '80s, and it got real dark there for a second. Uh, before he took the job back again. Can you guys suggest either some runs, trapier backs that feature Cap, or if Marvel actually did a cat book aimed directly at a younger audience. Thanks, Kyle Garrett. Bob? Well, you, you sure don't <laughs> want those crossbone issues. Where, right? that, that's not. They, they were fun, but no. Look, certainly you can start with the trade paperback collections of the Tales of Suspense run that was Stanley and Jack Kirby. They got his origin done again. You did World War II and Bucky and the Red Skull in there, certainly all ages, and very easily affordable now as opposed to the 
hundreds and thousands of dollars that they actually are to buy the books. I believe it's today is an all ages Captain America oh. book. It's a, it's a, a you can read sort of reading level one book for especially for young boys the way they described it. You know, mm. shows the heroism, the training you'd have to go through to be Captain America and so on and so forth. But my best recommendation is they put together a trade. There were Marvel did a set of all ages books some while back, Marvel Adventures. They were all branded with sort of a red logo across the top, Marvel Adventures. They were done in one stories of the Avengers, Fantastic Four, they did Spider-Man, and they've collected all the Cap stories into a trade paperback. They're done in a very silver Bronze Age style. They are recognizably the heroes. They don't write down to little ones. So if this is a five or six-year-old, this book is probably written for eight or nine-year-olds, but they'll be able to get something from these stories. I, When they were coming out, this is 10, 12 years ago, I was buying these for every little person in my little circle. It was, <laughs> this will get you reading comics because it is the real heroes doing the real things. It's not little Gotham or little vampy, and they're fun. But this was real superheroics done in a great way. So it's a Marvel Adventures, Captain America trade paperback. And it's like fourteen dollars, something like that, and be perf- absolutely perfect as a recommendation for someone looking for some cap they can have a little one read with them. Awesome, awesome, America. <clears throat> um, I want to say too that uh, Dan Murphy wrote in and gave us a point of order on the Eric Stevenson speech, saying that GI Joe was actually originally a comic book before it was a, a toy or a cartoon. Um, and he said, "P.S. Chuck Dixon wrote an amazing GI Joe in two thousand and eight that never gets any love. Okay. You are my Wednesday commute." <laughs> Dan thank Murphy. you, Dan. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, so Yo thank you guys Joe. and make sure you guys write into us at talking comics on Twitter, um, facebook.com slash talking comics and uh, podcast at talking is the email address for that. Uh, what's on the shelves right now though? What, what is there as I scroll up this huge list of books <laughs> that we have here? Um, nothing, nothing's out. Bye everyone. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from Archie comics, we've got Archie number six fifty three, Fox number five and Sonic universe. Number 61 from avatar press. We've got Uber number 10 from boom studios. We've got regular show skips. Number five returning. Number one uh, here we go. <laughs> revelations. Number three of six Robocop last stand. Number eight of eight and sons of anarchy. Number seven. From Dark Horse Comics, we've got Abe Sapien, number 11. We've got Ghost, number 2. Yes. Um, mm. We've got uh, Nos- Nosferatu Wars, one shot. Star Wars, number 15. And The Star Wars, number 6. And X, number 11. Is that the last of that The Star Wars? You know no, it's of 8. Going? 6 okay. of 8. Now, someone was asking me today, and I went, I think it's nearly done. It's pretty close to done. It sells very, very well for them. That, that, that's been a big success yeah. for them. Um, from DC Comics, we've got Astro City, number 10. Batgirl number 29, Batman number 29. Yes. We've got Coffin Hill number 6. Yeah. Excuse me. Ooh. Constantine number 11. We've got FBP Federal Bureau of Physics number Ooh. 8. Green Lantern Corps number 29. Justice League 3000 number 4. Justice League of America number 13. We've got Legends of the Dark Knight 100 page spectacular number 2. We've got Nightwing number 29, which is the final Kyle Higgins issue of Nightwing. We've got Royals Masters of War number two of six. Hey, I've heard about that one. Stephanie's Book of the Week last week. Uh, We've got Scooby-Doo Where Are You number 43. Smallville Season 11 Alien number four. Superboy number 29. Superman Wonder Woman number six. 
And that is it from DC. From Dynamite Entertainment, we have Garth Ennis' Red Team, number seven. Grim the Warlock, number four. We've got Magnus, Robot Fighter, number one. He was big when I was a little fella back when they were doing those at Dell and Gold Key and so on and so forth. There's 6,000 covers for it, just so everyone knows. Um, (laughs) There, let's see what else we've got here. We've got Six Million Dollar Man, season six, number one. We've got Turok Dinosaur Hunter, number two. Uh, from IDW, we've got City, The Mind and the Machine, number two of four. Crow Pestilence, number one of four. Dead World Restoration, number four of five. We've got Indestructible, number four. Judge Dread, number 17. Monsters and Madman, number one. Sorry, just Monster and Madman, not plural monsters. One monster, one sequ- Madman. That's the sequel, yeah. yeah. We've got My Little Pony, Friends Forever, number three, Powerpuff Girls, number seven, Star Trek, number 31, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 32. We've got, ooh, this is a new one, Transformers 1984, number one, and Transformers. Wow, it's been a while. It's been a while. More than meets the eye? That is correct. (laughs) Wow. Number 27. We've got X-Files Conspiracy, The Crow, number one, and X-Files Season 10, number 10. From Image Comics, we've got East of West, number 10. Yes. Egos, number 3. Invincible, number 109. Manifest Destiny, number 5. Mercenary C, number 2. Minimum Wage, number 3. Spawn, number 241. Stray Bullets, number 41. And Stray Bullets Killers, number 1. We've got Walking Dead, number 123. And Witchblade, number 173. From Marvel Comics. Okay. Oh, wait a second here. Steve, I said that Ghost Rider came out this week. That's a poster. Never mind. I read it wrong. Comes <laughs> out next week, right? Yeah, you're right. Ah, uh, it sounds I like, I like that. I like all that. new Invincible. So we got all new X Factor number four. All new X Men number 24. We've got Amazing X Men uh, number. Nope, that's the second printing. Sorry. We got Avengers Undercover number one. We've got Black Widow number four. Captain Marvel number one. Yes. <laughs> Stereo. Not uh, excited at all. We've got Deadpool number twenty-five point now. Fantastic four number two. We'll see. We've got let's see what else. Hawkeye number seventeen. Yay. That was quick. It was very quick. We've got Mighty Avengers number eight. We've got Revolutionary War Motormouth number one. Secret Avengers number one. Superior Spider-Man mm. number twenty-nine. Yes, twenty-nine. <laughs> There's like there's like four second printings coming out as well. So it's at 25, 26, 27, and 29. Uh, we've got Wolverine number three, X-Force number two, and X-Men Legacy. Technically, they renumbered it to number 300 because it's the last issue and the 300th issue of the book. Oh. So there you go. That's it for Marvel. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Well, there's a second printing of The Bunker coming out. So if you missed that book from Oni, the, the Joshua Helfi Alkov book. Sweet. Look for that in your shop. See if they get second printings. From Valiant, we have Bloodshot and Hardcore, number 20. Unity, number five. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales Presents Ascension, number two. Neverland, Age of Darkness, number one. And that is it. And that's what's on your comic book shelves right now. Boom. Exciting. That's a lot. Boom, baby. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. That doesn't even count all the second printings of the DC 3D covers. They're all out, too. So there are 50 of those on the stands. Are they really out? I didn't see them on the list. Mm. They're on there. They're oh, on boy. there. Coming really... at you. Coming at you. Boom. In 3D. In 3D. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's what's on shelves right now. So 
we talked about we have a couple announcements. The radio show again is this Thursday at six o'clock Eastern time. Six o'clock Eastern time. If you're in the New York metropolitan area, it's ninety point one FM WUSB. It's the Stony Brook radio station. Also streams at www.wusb.fm. The show in question is called The Long Island Scene, S-C-E-N-E. All right. I think, yes. (laughs) Yes, Yes. I'm guessing. It's late. So check it out for that, and look out for Facebook and Twitter and stuff or in the forums. We'll throw the link in there so you guys can check it out uh, live when it's happening. I don't know if the archive shows or not. We'll have to. Yes, they do for at least a week. Okay, so you have a week to, to listen to that to that show hmm. um another a couple other things that we, we want to talk about so as you notice you guys have probably noticed we've been expanding lately uh we have we have talking movies we have the misfits um but we're continuing to expand um St- uh, steve myself uh, uh justin townsend yes uh who's a who's been a great listener and participant on in the site and w- with the show uh and a rotating cast between uh jackie turner who is used to be on Fanboy Remix with Bob and myself mm-hmm. and also Doctor Who cast for a little while. And our uh, our great friend Rob Newmeyer will be starting a Talking Games show. Oh, yeah. All about video wow. games. So all you guys who hate the fact that we talk about video games on this show don't have to worry about it anymore because it will all be talked about on that show. It's going to be a good time. Um, because we never have crossovers. No. <laughs> <laughs> So we will be starting that show up most likely next week. So look out for it. Uh, this comes in conjunction with something else that we are planning on doing, which there is a new service that launched. Uh, if, you guys are, if you guys are very familiar with Kickstarter, there's a site called PodFund that launched, which is basically Kickstarter for podcasts. And in the next two weeks coming, we are going to be launching a campaign uh, on that. Um, we're offering rewards. Uh, we haven't locked them all down yet, but there'll be rewards specific to each one of the hosts of the show. You know, we, we're working on designing a, a kind of a new T-shirt for for people to to get as a backer reward and some other stuff as well. So all that stuff will come out when when the show actually launches. Uh, I want to put out the call to people though who are listeners of the show. Write into podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com and let me know if there's anything that you would absolutely love to have as a reward, oh, if you're interested idea. in being a backer, because we you know we want to do that. Obviously there's stuff we can't do, but if we can do it and we will. Um, and this kind of stuff goes to, you know, basically these shows, you know, they, they cost money to run. Uh, the equipment costs money. We're working with equipment from, you know, uh, from years ago. And I'd, I'd like to update and make it sound better for you guys. I'd like to bring you guys more shows and not have to worry about, you know, how are we going to post this show? It can only be on YouTube stuff like that. I, I would like it all to be, you know, free uh, for everybody, obviously. And but to, to do that, we're going to need some some money to start it up. So, you know, if this happens, you know, video talking video games will will, will be free. Mm-hmm. Uh, comics and coffee will become a podcast that you guys can listen to as well for free. Same thing. The book club will be we'll put out the book club audio version. All all the stuff we do video will become audio versions for you guys to listen to, and it will allow us to make new shows and not have to worry about how we're going to put them out. Um, you know. It will also hopefully allow us to, you know, kind of have some flexibility with, you know, how much time we spend at cons and stuff like that. It, it, it's the beginning of something that we can start, you know, start to build, uh, you know, ourselves out and bring you guys more stuff. Uh, you know, obviously, th- 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 so you guys know, no matter what happens with this, this show will always, always be free. There's no way the show will ever not be free. This is the cornerstone of our, our website, and we love doing it 
for you guys. We love doing it together. It will always, always be free. The interviews we do will always be free. That will never not happen. But in the future, if we want to do more shows, we have to come to go to a different model if this doesn't you know, get get funded. So we're, we're trying it out. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully it, it goes through. But look for that in, in the next couple of weeks. We're excited about it. We're excited that what it's going to let us bring to you guys because it will let us really give us the freedom to do a lot of stuff. I know you guys always call for, you know, you guys want more comic book histories from Bob. You want more radio radio shows like we did the Captain Marvel. Um, we want to do more of those. And this will allow us to do that you know, as well. And it will also allow us, you know, we have pretty nice equipment here. We have, you know, it it might be a little old, but it's nice. And, uh, we have the benefit of that, but Stephanie, you know, doesn't get the benefit of the equipment that we, we get to use here. (laughs) And so we want Stephanie to have the same equipment that we have and to be able to, um, you know, sound as good as all we do not come through Skype like she does right now. So this will also help. So I'm not like a podcasting peasant. Exactly. (laughs) Help Stephanie not be a podcasting peasant give to our pod fund so look out for that in the next I, i'd say probably the next two weeks i will definitely uh be going up and you know co- along with that will come more announcements if that gets funded we'll have a lot more announcements you know uh coming along the way but regardless of what happens there i want to thank all the listeners and everyone who's been in have been so awesome the, the site and the podcast continue to grow and you guys have just been absolutely great and thank you to everyone who has branched out and listened to the other shows you know i i know that um Brian, who hosts Talking Movies, is incredibly grateful and humbled by the fact that he already has people, you know, writing to him. Because yeah. the thing about the thing about doing this is that, and Bob can attest to this as well. You know, when you do one, when when you do a podcast, and I think Stephanie, you said this as well, right? That it just feels like it's going out into nothing mm-hmm. when, when you're saying it, and it really only becomes real when you start hearing back from people and you start realizing that you're kind of affecting people. Um, and it's been awesome that you guys have done that for us and you guys started doing that for the other shows that are, that are popping up on, on talking comics. So thank you guys very much. Um, and it's in regard to the, the, the pod fund and everything, uh, the pod razor, you know, bigger sites and, and, and sites like giant bomb and, and other sites that you guys love and everything talking comics. Like we, we want to expand, we want to mm. grow. And this is how that happens. If you, you know, you like the show and you want more, you think the content that we bring you is, is unique. And we have themed weeks like our women in comics week and just, you know, all the stuff that we give, we will only be giving more and providing more mm. if this thing is a success Absolutely. and just, you know, keep that in mind and, you know, no pressure, but seriously, this is how stuff like this is how that stuff gets done and how that starts to grow. And that's the foundation. So that's, you know, a part of why we're doing this. And Absolutely. I, that's, yeah. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I want to thank you. We, some people have already donated to just the donate button, the thing, and you guys wow. are awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been really great. And we can't wait to see what comes in the future uh, for this site. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for talking comics. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Of course. So, we i'm sorry i almost forgot thank you bob for, for reminding me um a very good friend of ours uh hugh had something happen to him and we just wanted him to know that we're all thinking about him and we all love him very very much and we're here for you buddy whatever you need amen i all right mm-hmm. all right so now that's gonna do it for talking comics for this week for steve Hachata, bob sayonara and stephanie bye I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.